All right, let's open our Bibles this morning to declare the glory of the Lord from the book of um, Isaiah chapter 42. We're reading from verse 5. Isaiah chapter 42. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to the people on it, and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. And I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things have come to pass. Now I declare new things. Before they spring forth, I proclaim them to you. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing his praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it. You islands and those who dwell on them. Let the wilderness and the cities lift up their voices. The settlements where Kedar inhabits. Let the inhabitants of Selah sing aloud. Let them shout for joy from the tops of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. The Lord will go forth like a warrior. He will arouse his zeal like a man of war. He will usher a shout. Yes, he will raise a war cry. He will prevail against his enemies. Hallelujah. Father God, we give you praise this morning. Thank you for bringing us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for opening our hearts to love you. We have come to drink of the Spirit again. We have come to receive insights and wisdom and understanding. Lord, we have op- we have, our hearts are open. Our spirits are open. Our souls are open to drink of the Spirit of God. By faith, we receive it this morning in the name of Jesus Christ. And we declare as follows. And the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding, as a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work. I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, the Lord is good. All right, let's take our seats. Let's start from Second Chronicles. There's a reason why I'm reading that. Um, even though initially you might find out, uh, you may wonder, what has this got to do with walking in divine abundance? But I just want us to read um, the story of Asa again. Again, I'll give us a background. It's a portion I believe many of us who are Bible students know very well. Asa was made king over Judah, and then he instituted a lot of reforms. He had some wars in the early days, and God gave him victory. If you read from chapter 14, you see that his father died, and Asa became king in his place. And he did good and right in the sight of the Lord his God. He removed all the foreign altars and high places, tore down the 
sacred pillars, cut down the Asherim, and commanded Judah to seek the Lord of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandment. He did all those things. He built fortified cities in Judah. God prospered him. You read in that chapter 14, you see that when the Ethiopian king came against him with an army of a million men and 300 chariots, Asa went out and God gave him victory. All right? And before that, if you read in verse 11 of chapter 14, he called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one besides you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So we asked God to help. So the Lord routed the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah. And the Ethiopians fled. So Asa continued to prosper. The prophet um, Azariah told him in chapter 15 that if you seek him, he will let you find him. If you forsake him, he will forsake you. And the reason why the prophet was telling him this was because before then, Israel and Judah, of course, had had problems. So Asa went ahead, did the things that we mentioned, and there was great revival in the land. And for this reason, verse 19 of chapter 15, there was no war for 35 years of the reign of Asa. Then in the 36th year, Basha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and fortified Ramah in order to prevent anyone from going out or coming into Asa, the king of Judah. And as a result, Asa needed to you know, deliver himself. So what he did was to take gold and silver from the treasuries of the house of the Lord, the temple, and from the king's house, and he went to ask for help from the king of Aram, Ben-Hadad. And then that one worked because what Ben-Hadad did was to you know, you know, set up, start war against Basha, the king of Israel, thereby forcing Basha to withdraw from his, um, all right, the siege he was building around Judah. Now, plenty background. Why are we reading this? Verse 7. At that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Aram, that's Ben Hadad, and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Aram has escaped out of your hand. Funny, it's not the army of the king of Israel, or Basha, that escaped. It's the army of the king of Aram, who he employed to help him. Now, let's not talk much about that now. Now look at verse 8. Were not the Ethiopians and the Lubim, that is the Libyans, all right? An immense army with many chariots and horsemen, the one we referred to earlier in chapter 14. Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. So obviously it was not the Ethiopians that came alone. They had allies with them. But Asa relied on the Lord and he delivered these people into his hand. Verse 9, he says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. He said, you have acted foolishly in this. Indeed, from now on, you will surely have wars. I'm not going to read beyond this. As I handled this situation very wrongly, now just for you to understand, the fact that he did it wrong was not much of a problem. It was a problem. When the prophet comes to correct your wrongdoing, don't be intimidated. Now, sorry, Lord, please, I'm not trying to make this, your, um, your children, 
you know, careless. I'm trying to bring out the point. Don't be intimidated by the threats of judgment. That the prophet is talking to you shows there is hope. Quickly repent. God would, would rather judgment. In fact, that's his aim. He kind of wants to threaten you with the judgment. Now, it's not exactly a threat. It's a promise if you don't repent. But it's hoping you will see the problems and quickly retrace your steps. But the problem is what happened here. Or was what happened with Asa. He became angry at the person correcting him. I'll get to my message in a moment. Let me just beg you. If somebody corrects you, don't get angry. It can be annoying. Just listen to the correction and be silent. Don't react to it if you can't react positively. Just be silent. Don't react to it. Now let me add one never for you. Never react to the person correcting you. Whether he's wrong or right is besides the point. Never react to the person correcting you. He's wrong or right. She's wrong or right is not the point. Though. She's young. He's old. Is irrelevant. Once it's a word of correction, discipline yourself not to react at all unless you want to say thank you. The more annoying it is, the more you should be silent. Let me say this. If you don't do what I have said, God will destroy you. I don't like to mince words about it because people don't fear God. That's why I don't pull punches when I say it. You will have troubles in life, you will have no help. You will be sick, there will be no healing. And God will have only one thing against, against you. You don't like to be corrected. Listen to rebuke and leave it there. Never react to the prophet. If you must react to the prophet, let it be repentance. Let it be thank you. If they say you did it wrong, just be silent. That is, if you don't agree. At least be quiet for a while. Paradventure, the thing we cook later. One of the worst things you do to yourself is to try to start justifying your actions. Because if you do that for a long time, you will get into trouble. There's no way around it. You know, we normally say pride goes before what? People will say a fall. The Bible says a haughty spirit is what goes before a fall. Pride goes before destruction. What killed Asa was not the mystic. It was that the prophet came. I think it was Anani, right? And said what he did was wrong. And he was angry and put the prophet in prison. Guaranteed destruction. That is, that one there is no mercy. You will so suffer. Yeah, you do this one. If a prophet is just prophesying nonsense, that's it. but it's bringing you correction. Yeah. Please, I beg you, don't just, like I said, what I have found over the years is that I, I've been through this, of course, I'm not a small boy. I've been in this life for a while too. I have tried, my best is, I just ignore you. I, I don't agree with you. I think you're out of your mind, but I will never answer you. I'll just be quiet. Another thing, just by the way, don't ever try to put blame on anybody else. It is a woman you gave to me. It is a serpent. Please, I'll get to my message. I just feel like saying this. God is merciful. What did I say? A lot of people, their problem is that, what do I now do? I have done the, I have done that which I ought not to do. 
I cannot correct it. That's why they want to just stay there and justify themselves. Not knowing that that justifying yourself is where your sin is starting. It has not started though. That first the one was not the problem. That just by the way. Asa was angry and he put the, the prophet in jail. Why? Because how dare you correct the king? That was it. How dare you? How dare you correct it? Ah, how can you? Are you the first prophet in Israel? The reason is because the man forgot where he came from. He forgot. 35 years of peace is very dangerous. You should have trouble every five years. <laughs> it will wake you up. You should go to work one day and see a query on your table. Then maybe that will help you wake up. Which actually was what happened to him here. God only wanted to wake him up. And you'll see why I'm talking about this when we're talking about divine abundance, walking in divine abundance. What has this got to do with it? I will connect it in a moment. Now, I said something, I don't know whether it was last Tuesday, or anyway, I say, I say once in a while. You choose the realm of life you want to walk in. You choose it by a number of things. First, the choices you make. For example, you woke up early this morning and rushed down here. It's a choice. You choose how you speak. It's a choice you make. The actions you take at certain times, at certain times in your life, these are the things that decide for you the realm you are walking in, not what you desire. If you want to be the head and you do daily activities, you are the tail. Did you hear what I said? You want to be the head, but your actions are daily. You are tossed to and fro. If they say, hey, this is where the action is, you have gone there. And they say, this other side, you have gone there, you are a tail. It's not what you say. You can go to church and say, I'm behind another tail. I'm behind another tail. That's your nose talking. The truth is that you are a tail, you're not a head. Do you follow my point? <laughs> it is not what you desire. You, there are choices you make that will let you know this is what you are. That's why I read, wrote the book, Choices Key to Destiny. I think I should also explain, although I've done it many times, maybe I should write a book on it, Manifestations of Faith, because you need to know exactly faith is not how you feel, faith is not what you want, faith is not the stubbornness of your soul. Do you follow me? What is faith? It is a spiritual substance inside you that even you cannot describe. You can only, these are spiritual things, that are their traits. You only know them by their effects. So you need to learn to check the works of faith in your life to decide really whether you have faith or you don't. It's very important. So you choose the realm of life by the choices you make, the things you pay attention to, the respect you have for the word of God, your prayer. You decide whether you want to live in the realm above the curse of Adam, which remains on the earth till today. One of the things you will learn about spiritual things is that if God, God hardly removes curses, I found out. He just removes people from under the influence of the curse. Did you hear what I said? Yeah, the curses tend to remain. But he removes people from where they walk. There's what is called the leprosy of Naaman, which has been donated to the household of Gehazi. Jesus did not wipe it away. He only removed the descendants of Gehazi from under it. 
What does that mean? If you go back under it, you are getting the leprosy of Naaman. Quick digression, but a serious one. My wife and I were talking two days ago in the house. And I'm so happy for the way I speak sometimes, even though it's not popular. One day I talked on who is going to hell on radio. That's world versus world. And one guy responded as if, as if to say that you, you, you shouldn't threaten people with hellfire. And I, told, I replied, if you don't repent, you will die and go to hell. That's all. Because, you see, I, <laughs> I didn't invent hellfire. Jesus also brought up the whole discussion. Did you ever see me there? <laughs> Anytime I'm talking, it's reported speech. I'm reporting what he said. I'm going to argue with him. The truth is that people don't fear God these days. My wife and I were talking the other day. See, I realize that. Churches these days, you know, they don't actually teach repentance. People are supposed to repent of their sins. Christian or not, the soul that sins, it shall die. That a Christian can never be condemned is a lie. The grace of Jesus teaches you and empowers you to depart from iniquity. If you remain there, you are... Please, other language means something or it doesn't mean anything. How can Paul tell you, so that we will not be condemned with the world, if it was impossible for it to happen? People have told me before that when Jesus said that I will not erase your name, it means that he will never erase your name. I said, are you stupid? Are you thinking with your butt? Someone comes and warns you, say, do this and I will not erase your name. Simple inferences, if you don't, I will erase your name. Why do we get some doctrines? I don't know how we manufacture it. Anyway, I find that the accuracy of doctrine is not about intellectual reasoning. It's about the heart. It's about what do you want to do. Which is why I never believe somebody that it doesn't believe there's God. I say, stop lying. You know there is God. But you want to continue your ways. And you are afraid that the ones you have done for the last 15 years, if you just wake up to the reality that this thing will catch up with you later, you will, you will go mental. So you shut it down. It's called denial. It's, it's Freudian ego, ego defense. There is God. You know. People just don't like to face the truth. Many preachers, they can't, they can't bridle the loss of the flesh. They start preaching grace that God did not preach. You are a pastor, you know. You are an adulterer. You know. I mean, why are you not preaching grace? You know, I, let, let me tell you why God will destroy people. It's things like that. Pastor, you have your wife, but we know what you do. Then you now come to church and start preaching grace. Are you crazy? Because that is, I won't destroy you for the adultery. I will kill you for the grace preaching. That is just the, that is, I will not judge you for adultery, which I know you've been doing. I've been watching it for 10 years. You won't stop. Then somebody now preaches. Satan now sends somebody to preach a doctrine to you you have not seen before. You now swallow it, thereby denying yourself the power to stop iniquity. God said, that is when you confirm your judgment. I've waited patiently for you for some time. I've been waiting patiently. I tell you to just stop. You wouldn't. You must start preaching another thing, thereby making sure that you can never stop. And then I will have to kill you. And that killing is even messy. Listen, the church needs to learn to repent. If you're a pastor, if you don't preach people for people to repent, God will put their sins on your head. Why will you say you go to church? You're a Christian. You are the one who can't send a young lady to go and stay in your house overnight because she's stranded. Say, I better go. Don't, don't, don't go near. Are you a married man? 
Why is it that you are the one we can't do business with? Without signing agreements and getting lawyers. One of our brothers told me something once, very painful. He was, you know, based in Abuja. He said it's easier for him to do business with allergies. Is it, let me tell you about the righteousness of God. You may be here raising your nose raising your nose against your allergy that marries four wives. Because that guy pays back all his loans. He said, no, ask the, the third reverend. In the, what do they call that industrial bank? Bank of industry. They don't have a problem giving allergies loans. Though. They pay back. Oh, they pay back. Some will be lying to you, making it look like you are the righteous one. Let me not mention it. You know the name of a state near here where I won't mention. That those who swore they won't give loans there again. Because the people take it as if it's their share of the national cake. This guy said, if we carry this loan to Kaduna, we get most of it back. We carry it to Kano, we get most of it back. But you come near here, they don't pay. Then that to shout discrimination, you can shout. He said, let's face the facts. Come and see who pays us back when we give loans. You know, we all go to church. Many of us, Christian pastors, have become babalao. You know what the babalao is? I'll tell you. A juju man. You know what he is? A man who doesn't talk about your sins, but will guarantee you spiritual power if you bring an offering. You're worshipping Ogun, Amadioha, Obatala. They don't speak about your life. They want their offering. That's what, why do you think churches are full? Teach people righteousness. Teach them to fear God. People won't come back. Today is breakthrough break prayer. Breakthrough. This place won't have space. Let me tell you, if you follow me regularly, you are still committing sin. God will punish you and destroy you. Yes. Don't want sinners calling me their pastor. What am I trying to emphasize all these things I'm saying? You are not delivered from a curse if you have not been delivered or you have personally rejected the works that bring the curse. Do you hear what I said? Gehazi's leprosy is permanently out there. The leprosy of Naaman that comes upon the descendants of Gehazi. Who is a descendant of Gehazi? The one that obtains money by false pretenses. That's it. Even if it's a word of God using for the false pretense, it's a Gehazian descendant. And the leprosy of Naaman permanently, eternally, is his portion. If you want deliverance, stop behaving like he has. Jesus has not released deliverance for people. Look, I told you, he doesn't remove curses. He removes people. He removes people. Go and tell everybody. Let's say they want to break curse. Say, listen, bros, just walk away from where curses walk. He creates a new realm of walking. Say, don't walk like this anymore. It's time to destroy the curse. Jesus says, there's no point destroying the curse. What's your own issue? If you don't like the curse, leave the place. If you live like Adam, the curse that God placed upon Adam for Adam on the earth is there. It's not removable. The only thing that will remove it permanently is when God destroys this old earth and creates a new one. What he can do is to remove you and say, listen, don't behave like Adam. Behave like Christ. Then you have left the realm in which the curse that I placed upon Adam works. Then you will now see the blessing of Abraham working in your life. That's why, please, be very careful what you read and practice. All this, how to prepare for retirement, be careful. I've been warning you. Some of them are designed to Adamify your life. Yeah. What I hoped to teach today, let's see how it goes, 
is how to walk by faith for abundance. We've been talking about walking divine abundance. I want to talk about the issue of faith to activate it. Even though everything we've been saying, all right, has been about that, all right? But I just want to focus on how to deliberately activate that grace. Because, you see, if they teach you Adamic principles, it's not really that if the, 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 a, a Jujuma will now come and say, a curse be upon you, a curse be upon you. C-. No. Just that you have left where the curse doesn't go to. And you have come to buy a house where the curse is. So as nice as you are, you're under a curse. You will pray, 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 pray. God will bless you as much as he blessed Adam. He will try his best. He does that. You know, that's one thing you see. You read the scriptures, there are realms. There's 30-fold, there's 60-fold, there's 100-fold. Jesus did not tell us why they were different, but we can easily infer it. Because from zero, you saw why everybody, some, many people were in zero. They did not understand. Um, the heart, heart was, uh, the, the word couldn't penetrate, all right? That was the first level. Then the tongues that came and did what? No, before that. Shallow earth. So the sun came, scorched it, and then the third one was, that one was okay, everything. But then the curse of the world, the disfulness of riches, and the loss of other things came and did what? And choked the world. Why would they care of the world, the disfulness of riches, and loss of other things? Because the world takes time to produce. And doesn't produce the kind of things people are thinking about many times. So they must therefore depart and run over to Thessalonica, making all the words that he heard from Paul all his life die. Do you get it? Now that now tells us that. Why the ones that bear fruit, why is it 30, 60, and 100? It's simple. It's the degree to which, one, they understood, two, they had depth of earth, three, they removed the choking influence. Those are the things, the degree. So now, so in life, there are, there are realms. So somebody decides to tabernacle under the realm of Adam. He may get a tenfold result and come and testify. And because everybody is getting 0.1-fold, two-fold maximum, he writes a book and we all read it on how to live like Adam and yet succeed. You have to be very careful. Make sure that the words of Jesus Christ, the words of the scripture are paramount to it. No matter what people say, once they disagree with the Bible, no matter how much results, the stories they have to tell. I use many things to give examples, but only to illustrate what the Bible says. If you disagree with it, I will disagree with you. It's not everybody I quote that agree with everything they say. In fact, these days, I'm very reluctant to give you the names of some people I quote, especially when they preach doctrine. If they are just secular people. If I refer to something that Bill Gates said, I know you're not going to follow Bill Gates. He's not a preacher. If I tell you Elon Musk said this, you know he smokes Indian hemp, so you know. He smokes... <laughs> Everybody knows. No, I'm not saying evil about him. He smokes in public. Yeah, we we. The richest man in the world smokes. If you think that's how he became rich, you go and try it. <laughs> that's not how he became rich. In fact, that's why he's not richer than he is. So sometimes I quote some of those, I just tell you this, say this, and you know, so maybe use their life to illustrate a particular point. But when somebody preaches doctrine and he says something that's profound. If I see the, the main thing about his doctrines, all right, the main things inside are faulty. I don't mention the name because I don't want to refer you to somebody who I disagree with. Now, where am I going with all of this talk? See, when people are talking in life, be careful the realm they are teaching you to walk in. You go and read some books. <laughs> they disagree with the Lord Jesus Christ. They teach you how to lay up treasure on the earth. 
Let me tell you what that does. You will enjoy as long as the earth is stable. But the Bible said something. All flesh is grass. The goodliness thereof are like the flower, is like the flower of the field. You know what he said? The grass withers, the flower fades. When? When the breath of God blows upon it. Because once again, I will shake the heavens and I will shake the earth. When he say once again, it's not just one time. It's something he does again and again. Anytime there's a shaking, it's going. So you can have peace for 30 years like Asa did. And then one day, the peace goes. You are getting my point? So just make up your mind. I'm walking in the realm of Jesus. How do I walk in the realm of Jesus? I obey his word every time. I don't do any other thing. I just obey his word. That's how you choose the realm you walk in. It's not by desire. It's by what you do. What do you pay attention to? If he says a man's life does not consist in the abundance of that which he possesses, better believe it. And he will test you to see whether you believe it. Yeah, he will. He will. He will before he gives you abundance. And occasionally he will threaten the abundance at the risk of you walking in unrighteousness. Say, walk in sin, it will be doubled. You don't go into iniquity, it will go down. If you love the abundance more than righteousness, then you've lost it. One thing that God demands we must love, he said, because you have loved righteousness and hate. Listen, Christians, let me just say something. Nothing wrong with earthly possession. I hope you're getting my point. God will give it to you. He will. He will. But one thing he demands is that you must love righteousness and holiness and God and the spirit of God in you more than any other thing. It's about relativity. He said to, um, what is his name, Peter, after giving him food, do you love me more than this? When I was young, I thought he was comparing, do you love me more than John loves me? Do you love me more than Thomas loves me? Do you love me more than Andrew loves me? More than Philip? I realized later, I said, no, he's not like, he's not going to be doing that. He wouldn't be comparing one person with another. There was a fisherman who was hungry, who God gave food. So he asked him simply, do you love me more than what I provide? That, that, that was the question. I thought he was saying that. <laughs> because Peter didn't say, I love you more than John. <laughs> he knew it was not a comparison thing. I give promotion in life. Do you love me more than promotion? I give children in life. Do you love me more than children? That's not a joke. The thing that God t- touches the most, or touches first, are the things that are most dear to you. Many of us love our children more than we love our Material possessions. I've seen crazy people that don't. Too. I didn't know they existed until hey, I found out some people actually love their possessions more than their children. You go and kidnap that fellow son, forget you on your own. Nothing for you. You can't threaten him. One man actually said that's why he's there to have more children. Yeah, they kidnapped his son. It really happened. I'm telling you a real story. They asked him to bring money. He didn't bring money. You know, you know he negotiated initially. After the people were insisting on some plenty of money, he told them, kill him, eat him, hung the phone. Tell them to go to hell. You know his solution? I need to have more children. But I guess the boy's mother was praying hard. Because something went wrong. The kidnappers ran away, but he recovered his son. But when I heard that statement, I said, What? <laughs> You know, once in a while, I tell you some jokes I saw. One guy, he, he, he was playing an Arab father. Said somebody called him and said, we have your son. 
said, can't you see that I'm busy here? He hung the phone. <laughs> they called back and said, we have your son. He said, which one? I'm mad. He said, useless boy. He hung the phone. <laughs> the Lord is good. <laughs> now, this is where I'm going. I know some people are like that. But generally, most of us love our kids more than anything. Do you know that's what God now comes for? Do you love me more than this? After he made Abraham walk with him 25 years, he gave him Isaac. 35 years, 37, actually they say, he trained Isaac. Isaac grew up to be a man. God said, do you love me more than Isaac? You know the story. He wants to know. He can't, it, it, God can't be number two in anything. He doesn't understand number two position. It's not in his nature. There's a reason why we call him the most high. In everything, he was the most high. In your priorities, he was the number one. He called somebody, he said, follow me. He said, let me first go. He said, you see, that's the problem. You have something first to do before following me. Hey, I don't do number two. Like also, Jesus said, is that that Lord of all? Or is not Lord at all? Is that Lord of all? Is not Lord at all? He doesn't understand. I'm Lord, but this area, I don't, I don't touch. Hey, no, take everything. He calls it lukewarmness. God demands to be number one in everything. That's the way he designed it. So he says, so like I said, he gives material things. But keeps on saying, do you love me more than what I give you? Look, there's something about God in, in, in all of us. If your wife loves what you gave her more than you, you won't, you're not getting any other thing. You know, I told you, personally, eh, I learned so much about God. As God promoted me, you know, made me marry, gave me a wife, I don't think... I think I learned more about God in the first few years of marriage than I knew all my life before. I, I, I don't read the Bible. Before I met my wife, I read all the books Ken Hagen ever wrote. I read everything E.W. King ever had to say. Maybe I didn't read every one of his books, but everything he said, I know. I don't read in and out. Yet I didn't understand some things about God until I got married. After I got married, I understood why God killed Saul. After I got married, I understood why God is a jealous God. I realized that a man can be jealous of his own children. Yes. Why well, I said, I'm coming, let me first go and beat this child. And he looked like, why did you have the child in the first place? He <laughs> was <laughs> like, what's all of this? It, it, it's something about God, you know, so. It is something about God. It's the nature of God. It helped me to understand I don't tell God, wait, I'm coming. Wait, I'm coming is that there's something more important than you I have to do. He doesn't understand it. When you come back, he's not there. So like I was saying, God blesses us with material things. He does. But he keeps insisting that we must love him more than the things that he gives. He demands it. And he will test it again and again. He already did the test in the test of righteousness. He said, for you have loved righteousness and hated iniquity. That's what he tests. You must love righteousness with a passion. You must love faith more than any other thing. You must be willing to give up all you have for a better knowledge of him. Paul said, so that I may gain Christ, I counted everything I had as dung, that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death. That is, I wanted to know him. That is, every other thing take. I was a billionaire. I sold everything. That's what he said. 
I had a PhD promoted to the rank of professor in the university, and I walked away from it. So I going from one primary school to another, another preaching the gospel and living off offerings. So because for me, that's what was necessary for me to understand the power of his resurrection. These are the kind of people that God is looking for. <laughs> Look, for, for them, nothing material, no matter how abundant, is worth a shred of the knowledge of God. So, like I said, he gives material things, but he demands that we love him, have faith in him more than any other thing. Now, when that has been secured, he can give anybody anything. When he found a man, Solomon by name, who seemed to understand this? His father David had explained it to him. God gave him everything. God gave him every. That is, he told him, see the check is blank, write anything you like. The man said, Lord, can you hold that check? Can you just give me wisdom? Ah. Because in that case, this, here's the wisdom. Everything possible that you could ever have imagined to write on the check, I will, write, I will give it to you. All this Solomon did to look like, well, this thing is fine. God gave it to him. Crazy, but you look at a woman two times. God said, Solomon, look, let's not spoil this thing. Just marry her. Just marry her. Now, he didn't agree with polygamy. It's not like he agreed. He just said, Solomon, oh, stop looking anyhow. He just gave me everything that he so could ever desire. For the simple reason that Solomon set his priorities right at the beginning. You know, many of us, you know what? We actually love what God gives more than, what he, more than him. I'm not trying to be critical, but this is a matter of fact. When I see what's going on in the church in Nigeria today, I feel very bad. Most people, I can say that, that is a matter of most. Most people actually, fact, love what God gives more than him. They come to him because of what he gives. We heard you multiply bread. So if you find somebody giving the knowledge of God for the sake of the knowledge of God, people don't understand. So? But if somebody said that, after you have finished this knowledge, oh, money is going to come. Hey! They will read the book. Said this book, I read it years ago, I became a multimillionaire. Are you serious? Which part of it did you read? It's million they are looking for, not the knowledge of God inside it. That is why people get disappointed. Because God knows now. If he loves you, he will disappoint you well. One day after you have followed up for a long time, now sit you down and say, do you love me more than this? The truth is that many times like that, I can, of course, you know he knows the answer. You know the Lord is not in doubt. Before him, everything is laid bare. There's nothing that is hidden. He just wants you to know. So when he asks questions, he's making you think. Say, you, look inside. He's calling you because he's a very merciful God. He's a very kind God. Like I say, he renews time. He can give extra time. He can do many things. So he just wants, but he demands repentance. So if we are getting it wrong, he'll say, okay, come, let's do it this way. You check it. What you did is, is it right? If you say, no, Lord, it was wrong. He said, good, now let's do it again. So when they ask you, do you love me more than this? Don't say, ah, I love you, Lord. Wait. Just wait. Pause. Say, Lord, can I assign you to this? And you go and think. Holy Spirit will be guiding you. You say, you don't love me more than that bread. Let's be honest. 
Prosperity is more important to you than loving him. He will show it to you. Then you come back to, now don't, there's no braggart doing it. There's no bold face. Say, Lord, you know what? I found out that I love those things more than I love you. And I'm sorry about it. That's all he wants to hear. He doesn't want any other thing. I found it out to be true that I love the other things more than I love you. And I'm sorry about it. He said, fine. Now he will touch your heart and remove the love of other things. And he will plant the love for him inside you by himself. You will get up in the morning and you'll be saying, the zeal of God has consumed me. Then you look and say, none of these things move me. Neither do I count my life as dear unto myself. You will look and say, ah, all these things will pass away. That's what he did. He just gave you the gift of understanding. He just gave you faith. He gave you love for God in your heart. Because you were honest about it. One of the reasons why I preach the way I preach, I, I believe the spirit of God anyway. When Christians will be arguing with you about tight, 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 all of you are shouting tight. You know you are buying protection. Let's not lie. It's divine protection you are buying. And I'm telling you it is free. I'm telling you it is free. And people can't pray with confidence unless they have something that they did to hold. When they want to begin to declare, as I go on this journey, in the name of Jesus, I command protection. I have paid. In the name of Jesus, I command angels to surround me. I have deposited. That is that in their heart. It's there. So when people like me come, I'm removing the foundation for their confidence. And I will say it again. Your tithe does not buy you nothing. It's an insult to God for you to think he does. I say, you know, that me, you know the beautiful thing about when you start growing older? You start having age-related confidence. <laughs> God does not have to tell you, don't be afraid of them. Who are you there doing? What are you going to do? People that you are older than? <laughs> it's not like you won't use the boldness of God. But you know, I'm but a youth. But don't say that anymore. You say, Lord, anoint me afresh. We can say that. But Lord, I cannot speak. I'm but a youth. I'm not saying I can speak. But the youth side is only before God I'm youth. Many of the men I quote these days, one day I was discussing with my brethren, I said, do you know many of the men I quote these days, that, you know, I, I've been quoting for a long time. When I started quoting them, they were in their 30s. Yeah. When I started following them, traveling to go and listen to them preach, going great distance, they were in their 30s. I said, if by now I can't talk with confidence, I get a problem. That's why I say what I say now. You know, I had the confidence of God before. I still have it. But now, I'm an elder. The elder John. <laughs> now, what am I going to say? I tell people, look, listen. If you really love God, and that's what I preach. In fact, like Pastor Corey will say, <laughs> that he knows how to know those who say they are, because some people, like I told you, very wicked people follow David. Outcasts, of course, David is looking for, and they just say, David, they say, they really don't care about God, just, just join a band. In the same manner, I've seen criminals, selfish human beings following Pastor Bank. Yeah. So Pastor Craig will say that he knows them, that they're easy to know, that he knows Pastor Bank, he knows what he practices. So he checks your practice. If he doesn't match the one Pastor Bank practices, then he knows you are not his disciple. People will hide behind you say, Pastor Bank, the title is not compulsory. Yes, I said it and I mean it. 
You can't buy anything with it. God didn't command that you should do it like the way people preach it. You know, yeah, he doesn't. He didn't. All right? But one reason why I need to emphasize that to people is that if you now, if you can't give because you love God, then don't bother. It's not worth it. It's a waste of your time. If you go and pray that God, I have given the tithe, I have given the offering, I have given first fruit, and the base for prayer, Satan will so enjoy you. Oh God, your injury will be severe. Because I tell you, the realm you are walking in, you've chosen the realm of accusations and arguments. Oh, Satan, you wake up in the morning, Satan, you're giving a knock on it, just for the sake of it. Say, this headache, the power of my tithe, I stand in the shoes of apostles, so, 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 to rebuke you. Satan, I say, yes, that's where I was waiting. In the shoes, the one he left behind, you wear one, I wear the other one. Yeah, he should. Now go struggle over shoe. I'm talking about this love of God thing. That is why I say what I say. I cannot understand why. First, sorry, I'm not trying to preach on that this morning. I'm just trying to explain something. I've read the New Testament in and out, up and down. I say, it's not the way we say it. We are talking about the love of God here. I have a wife. I have kids. I have, beyond them, people who are my responsibility. I've never calculated what proportion of the money I have goes to taking care of them. I've never. And I tell Christians, take ownership of the gospel. Do you get my point? Yes, yes it's, take ownership of the gospel. It's all this idolatrous mentality that gives us the impression we have to give God something so he can give us back. It's pleasure to give to him. I hope you're getting my point. That's our pleasure. That is, ah, it's just sweet to be used of God. To be a channel of his blessing. Not God, last week, you know, I gave you 5,000. When are you multiplying it? If you tell a human being, that won't he give you back your money? Say, this principle is not a principle of the realm of Christ. It is not. Jesus said, do you love me more than this? So what am I trying to explain? That one, I said, God, let me go over that again. We choose the realm of life we want to walk in. God can give us anything materially, but he wants the priorities set straight. Love for him must be above all else. Our eyes must be set on that which is above. That's just the way it is. All right? Now, back to why did I read the issue of Asa? It's because I wanted to show us that when you prosper, like Asa did, it's an easy thing to forget God. And God never wants you to forget. It's dangerous, actually. Forgetting is dangerous. He kept on telling the people of Israel, thou shalt remember. Why? Because if I prosper you, the tendency, everything has a risk in life. The risk attached to prosperity is forgetting. He said, look, your flock will multiply. Everything that you own will multiply. He said, for that reason, you must be careful not to forget. I'm just opening quickly to it. Deuteronomy chapter 8. In verse 11, it says, beware that you do not forget the Lord your God. How do you manifest that forgetting? In not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes. He said, what will happen in verse 12? When you have eaten and are satisfied, built good houses, lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, your silver and gold and all that you have multiplies. 
then your heart will become proud and you will forget. That's the risk. You forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now, why did he take you to the wilderness? He said, look at what he did. He didn't want you to forget. He led you to the great and terrible wilderness with all the fairy serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground. No water, where there was no water. In the midst of that, he brought water out of the rock for you. In the wilderness, he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know. Why? That he might humble you. That he might test you. Why is he doing all this? To do you good. To do good for you in the end. Otherwise, when he will have prospered you, that is, I did all of those miracles to keep on reminding you that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So otherwise, you may say in your heart, verse 17, my heart, my power, and the strength of my might made me this wealth. But what are you supposed to do? But you shall remember the Lord your God. How do you show you, have remem- you remember him? By keeping his commandments. He says, the Lord thy God that given you power to get wealth. You see, he humbled you, let you be hungry, he fed you with manna. I'm reading verse 3 now. Why? So that you will understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word, everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. I was saying, God wants us to live in that realm. Last time we talked about manna, remember? Uh, sorry, the multiplication of fish. Do you remember that? Now, did you notice that Jesus didn't always used to multiply bread and fish? No, he didn't do that all the time. Otherwise, why did he not multiply it at the, in John chapter 4 at the well in Samaria? What were they doing? They went to buy. They were used to buy. And that's one danger about Christianity, which we have to be careful. That's why, listen, let, let me digress again. Please never neglect the study of the word and paying attention to the word, teaching of the word of God. It doesn't anything that keeps you balanced. Your experiences tend to swing you either to the extreme left or the extreme right. Because God has multiplied bread, some people start following Jesus Christ so that they expect him to multiply bread every time. Jesus said, wait, how many times did I multiply bread? Go and check the circumstances each time. It was that when at a difficult place, there was nowhere to get bread you needed to eat. So we came forth with a miracle. But there's a lesson in the miracle. Never worry about anything. Do you get my point? That is the lesson in it. Your life must not be dictated by where bread is easy. Never arrange your life to find easy bread. It must be obedience that will be first. So that even though bread is not enough, physically speaking, you know that God can multiply bread. But on a day-to-day basis, like Asa, you will prosper. I hope you're getting my point. On a day-to-day basis, you will invest your money in business and it will multiply. You will have a job, you will get a salary. You will be the business to grow. I hope you're getting my point. On a day-to-day basis, things will work out like that. But in the midst of it, never forget that you are serving a God who multiplies bread. Because let me tell you how God prospers people. He prospers you to a point in life that you can go through life for 30 years and you will never need bread multiplied. Yes. Because there's always the farm works, the businesses work, the rain falls in due season, the farmers around you plant and it yields 
and you have enough to buy from them, your store in the house is good. Do you get my point? And it's been like that for 30 years. And you've never needed God to actually multiply bread. That is why God says you must rehearse testimonies. You must listen to them again and again. Otherwise, I need to create a new testimony for you. I will withdraw everything. You will go hungry for like a year. Then I will multiply bread and we will start again. <laughs> yeah. That's, see, you know, one, one thing about Israel is that God said everything that I did for you in the wilderness is enough to last you a lifetime. Yeah. It, that is, it didn't have to repeat any of those things. What it just needed to do was to go to the landmarks and see these 12 stones were put here when God moved the water away and that's when the priests put their feet in the water and then we crossed the Jordan on dry ground. That was when Joshua commanded the stones to be put there and they would come and look at the stones and they will remind themselves of the story of Joshua. Then they will have the Passover feast every year and they will remind themselves of the fact that they left Egypt in a hurry after God by a mighty hand Produced 10 plagues. The climax of it was when the, um, the firstborn of the Egyptians died. But that nobody died in the household of the Israelites as long as they obeyed what Moses said. How were they delivered through the Passover lamb? Then they offer their Passover lamb. If you go and check the scriptures, God always commanded them to tell stories. So you will do this, your children will say, why are you doing this? Then you will tell them the story behind it. If the children will hear the stories and do what their fathers did, that is, continue to offer those sacrifices and continue to recite those stories, they will never have had trouble. Ever. He said, when you harvest your, your field, you bring the first fruit. When you bring the first fruit, you know, you make a speech. My father was an Aramean. He was this in the wilderness. And then God did this one. You make a speech just to bring a basket of food to the temple. You don't just dump it and go away in a hurry. He said, when you have finished paying all your tithes, you will say, I have removed it. That is, you will make a speech. God demanded that they made speeches. And if you did not make those speeches, you will relieve the experiences. No, don't, don't offer. I, don't, I try not to get into this Israel-Gaza issue. All right? People don't even know my stance on it. I'm on every side. One of my classmates said, eh, how many Palestinians have to die? I said, I don't know. I said, but I can assure you of one thing. If you waltz in from Gaza, kill 1,200 Israelis, and take 240 hostage, this is what you will get. I'm not saying it's good. I can assure you, this is what you will get. And it's not going to stop. Now, it's not because I like it all. I'm not happy with the bombing and all of that. Half of the population of Gaza is currently displaced. But I said, you cannot walk into Israel on a normal cool, cool day, shoot over a thousand people, including old people and children. No soldiers now, no police people. Just average civilians. Some of them in their beds. And then you take about 240 of them and carry them away. And you want me to be negotiating with you that they should stop bombing you? No, I'm not going to talk. I just going to be looking at all of you. What were you expecting? No, that, that's my own. Please, I hope I get my point. I'm not on the side of anybody. I'm just saying when you start a war, be ready to fight it. 
Do you get my point? Please, if you want to pray, all right, some Christians are praying. Now, pray for Israel. Don't do that. Don't do that. Pray for everybody. There are Christians on both sides. Do you get my point? Yeah, there are Muslims on both sides. All right, there are Jews on one side, actually. Okay, but okay, but there are Christians on both sides. And you have to understand that God loves everybody. Okay, and he wants everybody to come to the knowledge of Christ. Okay? So, you pray for peace everywhere. All right? If Israel wins and they don't know Christ, they will still go to hellfire. There's nothing. Do you get my point? So, let's get that one clear. All right? No, but we I'm just going with that whole talk, the thing I don't even know again. That's why it's good to mind your business. Let's let just leave it. Because now, I wanted to say something. Honestly, I've, I've forgotten what I want to tell you something about Israel. But, but let me go back to that point where you gave me, that you just reminded me of, Okay. That, you know, I was saying something that people sometimes, you know, um, okay, there's a way we live normally, all right? In a day, our lives day to day, okay? There's a way God wants us to live, but doesn't want us in that to forget that he's still the one that's supplying all our needs. I was explaining to us that, you see, you can prosper for so long, you forget. Do you get my point? But that if you will recite what God did for you regularly. You will not have to go through the experience that will have to teach you that thing again. Okay, I think why I now went to this issue of Israel is that Christians make it look as if God is, uh, yeah, that's why I went into that. I just went to use to illustrate something and I got carried away by that. That sometimes Christians, when I hear them interpret the situation there, they make it look as if God has fulfilled his promise. I said, no, if you know God very well, if the people will not do what God said. If they will not acknowledge the Lord their God. Hmm? Now listen to this. I'm going to say not many preachers say it. What most preachers say is that the time has come for God to do this. Me, I don't believe that. What I believe is that the principles of God cannot be broken. And the last thing that Jesus said to them is that your house will be left to you desolate. Until when? Until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is where I'm going. That if the people are not saying that, they are not worshipping God, they are legalizing what God calls perversion, what God calls an abomination, they say it is okay, they will lose the land again. Certainly. God will never establish you until you've learned the lesson. Now, you probably have never heard any preachers, other preachers say it. It's not a common thing. Very few people say it. But I'm saying it to them. That's why I get upset when I say Christians analyze the situation. I said, listen, until you put in the center, the, the last promise, God is fulfilling his promise. I said, do you know the last promise he gave? That I will remember, the last one. Jesus came on the earth. The sum of all the prophets. The, the word himself. He said, now let me add words to it. He said, thus says the Lord, that he is the one speaking. This house be left to you desolate until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Never forget that. Don't override that statement. He made it. He made it, he will keep it. He said, I watch over my word to perform it. He will keep it. Oh, most certainly. He will. He will. So, I'm saying something here. So, if Israel remember to do those things, offer their sacrifice at the right times, make their speeches as commanded by the Lord, are you getting my point? Say, my father was an Aramean. And this was it. He didn't move like this. God moved him from this. He called him out of here and then I bought a fresh, a fresh fruit. Now, that reminds is reenacting 
the power of God in his life, he will never have to be a wanderer. His father has wandered for him. He will never. If he will bring that lamp and sacrifice it regularly on the day of Passover and tell the story of deliverance from Egypt, he will never have to run in a hurry. He will never have to go into slavery. He will never need God to work those miracles that he did in Egypt for his life. He will never. What he will do each time is to appropriate the experiences into his life by just reciting those things while performing the ordinances. Now, that was God's plan. But every time they forget, you know what happens? God sends them back into captivity. Then he delivers them after 70 years by mighty power again. And that's what I keep saying because... When I say Christians talk about this modern day Israel, I say, you guys don't talk about these things. God in this last day is speaking in his son, which is Jesus Christ. That should be your emphasis, not land. Your emphasis should be that the son is speaking. And whoever hears him will be saved. And whoever rejects him is damned. And his house will be left to him desolate. That's an aside. So the main thing I'm saying is that, yes, we're talking about activating what? And I'm talking about faith to activate divine abundance. All right? That's the main thing I'm trying to emphasize to us. So we have established the fact that, look, God is a God of abundance. He provides abundance. But whatever he gives, please, never. The temptation is what? Forgetting. And when people have been blessed, oh, God, they can insult God. Oh, God. This, the Bible says, Jeshurun became fat and kicked. They can insult God. How did they insult God? I'll tell you. You'll be surprised what it means to insult God. You probably have done it. The problem in this country is bad leaders. You're insulting God. You think his problem in the country is bad leaders? No. You say, well, leaders should perform. I say, which, who? Please, let me just go there for a moment. Please, if you're listening to this from Rwanda, I don't know. Your matter may be different. If you're listening to this from Syria, what's the Syrian president again? Assad. If your things might be different. If you're learning to do from Russia, Vladimir Putin, it may be different. But I'm speaking from Nigeria. One of the, many of you won't like it, but it's the truth, what I'm about to say. One of the really, truly democratic countries in the world. Where a motorpark tout one day becomes a governor. After 10 years where a retired school principal becomes a governor and then a minister. Where a doctor becomes a governor, becomes a minister. Where a guy with that failed primary school living certificate is a counselor. His father is not a politician. He doesn't know anybody. I know many of you don't think about it. It's a country where he's guaranteed to leave office after four years. Maximum eight years. And he leaves. It's a country where everybody insults the head of state and nothing happens to them. Have you noticed? Go and, the one you have been doing in Nigeria, just go and try it in Thailand. In Thailand, just say, which kind of nonsense king is this? You are going to prison. You call Buhari brainless. Nothing happened to you. You tweeted it, put it on your Facebook wall. DSS did not even talk to you. The only person that they ever arrested for that was a woman who called his wife fat. A, a, a young man who called the president's wife fat. And don't call a woman fat. They don't like it. 
So she used her influence. And the whole country supported the young man. And of course, it was an embarrassment for the presidency. The young man just tweeted that, look, madam, it's growing fat on people's money. Why are the poor are suffering? Yeah, small boy, like 21 or 22. They made him prostrate and say, Auntie, I won't do like that again. Otherwise, Fayoshi abused. Ah, God. You know what Fayoshi did to Buhari? He called him a dead man. Obituary. You want to cops to rule. What didn't take off him? And you know, Buhari saw all of those things. Did they, I, I thought he didn't used to know. Did he notice? He said the one he did not like when they called him Yusuf. Uh, what did they call it? Jibril. <laughs> he said that was not nice. I didn't know the man. They called the man Jibril. He said, the guy, he, said it, he said it wasn't funny. But you know what? He did nothing about it. You read newspaper and see him being insulted. And he burst into laughter. When I said three democratic people say, ah, it is. Go to Cameroon across here. Go and do that. Insult Paul Bia. Just try. You know, you know it's not far. <laughs> you know a boy just here from a boy from a back lake if you cross the river. In fact, where is Israel? Israel knows the road. He can take you there. When I say it, say what I said. I mean it. It's a country where the average person on the street is the one spoiling the country. But he says he wants to believe he's the leaders. Yeah, he's the one. He's the one that will do everything he can to bypass his power meter. I don't think any country in this world has the number of ghost workers we have in this country. Federal government paying, state governments paying people that don't exist. That's in addition to the fact that they've employed four people to do the job of one person who are no ghosts. They've another four ghosts <laughs> to do the job of one person. At the end of the day, the job still doesn't get done. Four human beings and four spirits are earning the salary to do one job, which still does not get done. Then the same people will now sit down and be pointing fingers and say, our leaders need to get it right. And I keep on asking them, who are the, can you believe my classmates still make that statement? And I tell them, are you people all right? I say, you have seen leaders? Do you know what I found? One of our brothers said he worked for one man who was attached to the president last time. That's... Um, was it good luck, Jonathan, or the president or, or first terminal of Buhari, one of those men? He said, when you get into Asso Rock, do you know what they're discussing? What the leaders need to do. <laughs> yeah, I'm not joking. They sit down. For those who, know, who don't know what Asso Rock is, that's our own White House. They sit down there, and they are discussing what the leaders need to do. There's one particular politician from Rivers. He talks a lot. When he's talking there, it, it annoys me because you see him, he puts himself like me and them. You are one of them. You ran for president. You are a governor in that state for eight years and you are talking instead of being ashamed. And you are pointing fingers at other people. I don't get it. I've gotten tired. I don't even, I, I, I tell myself, I'm not arguing with anybody again. Look, if you want to believe you'll be there, you'll be eight, 90 years old and be calling your grandchildren. These are our leaders need to do something. Your grandchildren. I'm talking about when you forget God, right? Yes. If your focus is on the leaders to fix them, their society, you have forgotten God. I know you don't think so, but I'm just telling you, and that's my job. Say to the cities of Zion, I'm speaking to you. You have forgotten God. You have forgotten the one that commands the blessing. 
You have forgotten the one that opens the doors and no one will be able to close. You've forgotten the one that will close the door and no one can open it. You have said that the sins of the people do not matter. That's what you are saying. You have said that the sovereignty of God, the, the power of God, the judge, does not count anymore. Your eyes are locked on human beings. You have forgotten God, but you don't know it. As a matter of fact, people forget God. You'll be, you'll be surprised. What am I trying to explain to us today? You choose the realm you walk in. How do you do it so that you walk in the realm of abundance, divine abundance, constantly? Let me just try and get into that. Let's, okay, let me just read the particular scripture, just to start, just to kick that in. First Timothy chapter six. You put yourself in that realm where you are above. The curse of Adam. You deliberately put yourself in the realm where God's favor shines upon you constantly. First Timothy chapter 6. I'll read from verse um, 17. He said, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. He said, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. 17 and 19, to 19, that's what I just read. First Timothy chapter 6. He said, if there, are, there are Christians who are rich in that church, Timothy was being told. There are things they need to do to show that their hope is not on riches. Now, riches, see, is one of the, in fact, I think it should be one of the most powerful things. Like we're joking about it here yesterday. Money talks. You, 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 you hear what I said? Yeah, money gives instructions. It commands. One major thing it does is to command obedience and love. Yes, it commands people to fix their hope on it. That's what money does. And like I've been saying, okay, I mean, since I started speaking today now, that God says, no, you must never let that happen to you. You must not let it happen. It's the danger of constant abundant supplies. It's the danger. That's why you have to get up and make sure regularly you fight that thing. And that's why I gave the example of narrating experiences, reading testimonies, constantly connecting with testimonies in your heart by faith. Remembering things that God did in your life, testifying about them again and again and again. Otherwise, he will have to take you back to those experiences so that you will not forget. One way by which you don't forget is to constantly recite and tell. We've established that. Because when God has prospered for a long time, you will find out that, like he said, your flock, you know, is doing well. Your fields are okay. It's easy to think these things are natural. It's very easy to think so. And once you start thinking so, what you are doing is that you are hindering the power of God concerning whatever it is you want to do in your life. Let me talk about Job for a moment. Again, you know, I always digress to explain things. Now, so that I won't miss my way. What, what I'm telling you about Job is that you don't want to limit the power of God by thinking wrongly. I hope you're getting my point. Yeah. Now, please, as a Christian, this is my digression. Never settle anywhere in life that I have made it. Never get to a point in which you say, you say, I have done enough. 
Never get to a point in which you say, God now owes me time for him to repay me. I hope you're getting my point. If somebody tells you, sow a seed, so that God can multiply it in one week, please don't answer him. What did I say? No, no, no. Please, I'm begging you. Don't answer the person. If they say, I have a special anointing today, you will plant a seed. And within one month, I guarantee you under God, a miracle will happen in your life. Refuse it. Please, I know what I'm telling you. Those things are tempting. Don't agree. Now, if you come to that, no matter what I need, I'm not giving you shishi. I'm not dropping an offering. Nothing. I can't live my life like this. So I tell you now, you plant a seed. You know my problem with that? Why, why am I using that issue this time around? What happens is that after one month, you think God is owing you. Ah, is it not common sense? After all, you say I should give my whole January salary. And that by February, everything will be sanctified. And by March, they will have multiplied. And by June, I will have so much money, I won't know what to do about it. By June, hey, hey. I got 100K I drop in January. By June, I'm fishing around looking for the abundance. Why? God is owing me now. Prove me now. Please, when they tell you prove God now, say, God, please, I don't want to prove you. I don't want. That shall not tempt the Lord thy God. I leave it like that. God, you are good. Thank you very much. Improving nothing. I know what I'm telling you. This is why a lot of people's faith have failed because of this. Thing. Never get to a point in your life when you think God is owing you. Never get to a point in your life when you think you have done all you are supposed to do. It's time for you to earn your reward. See, God is the one that determines that. And until the judgment seat of Christ, don't even expect anything. The real reward is at the end, the judgment seat of Christ. Ah, uh-uh, come on. When John the Baptist finished, what did they do for him? Not to remove his head. Uh, please, I hope you don't believe that nonsense doctrine. That is because he did not know the keys. We have some rubbish, rubbish, rubbishic doctrines roaming around the church. That if he knew the right keys to press, they would never have removed his head. You now hear people doing programs. Herod, I'm not John the Baptist. Have you not seen such programs? I've seen. I've, I've seen those posters. Herod, I am not John the Baptist. Not try yourself. Oh. <laughs> and I'll make you look like say, so you did read your Bible that of all men, born of women, none was as great as John. Jesus spoke highly of the man. That's the point I'm making. And please, for those who don't know, let me just clarify it for those who don't know. John the Baptist died when he was supposed to die. The way God chose for him to die. It was not an accident. It was not a failing on his part. And I can prove it to you from scripture if you know your Bible well. Jesus did not preach until he heard John had been taken into custody. Read your Bible. Jesus said nothing publicly. It was Peter, James, John and co. Who followed him having followed John after baptism. When John said to them, I hope you know this. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the whole. was not said to everybody. The Pharisees did not hear it from John. Who are those who heard it? Peter and co. His disciples. After baptizing Jesus. And he was walking away. He told them, guys, come, come. That's the fellow I was telling you about. He said, behold the Lamb of God that's taking away the sins of the whole world. Peter said, eh, Oga, it was nice knowing you. <laughs> they ran after him. He said, good morning, sir. Is I following Jesus? He's like, what are you looking for? Eh, well, just well, you know, just get to know each other. You know, make your acquaintance, you know. It's okay. They followed him home. 
Where are you staying? He said, come and see. They got there. Go now. They refused to go. Until it was night. They had to, they had to sleep over in his house. Somebody they were meeting for the first time. So after they started following him, they continued the practices they had with John. Baptizing people. So Jesus used to talk to them. And then one day he heard that John had been taken into custody. For the first time he preached openly. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He knew the ministry of John was over. John said, my job is to introduce you people to the bridegroom. Once he introduced Jesus, his ministry was over. That was why God allowed them to be, him to be put in prison. And then they removed his head because God said it is time to go. So for those who don't know, just let us get because we're preaching funny, funny doctrines because we love this world so much. We think everything starts here, ends here. Anything God has not done for you on this earth will not do. John the Baptist didn't have your time. I hope you're getting my point. They did look at the kind of person that wants to marry and have children and build a house. <laughs> no, it's true now. Okay? No, you know, what I was saying is that never get to a point in which you feel God now owes you. Never get to that point. In your life, you make sure that you always feel there's more. You are behind. There's more to achieve. There's more obedience to be accomplished. There's more transformation into the image of Christ that should be reached. Do you get my point? It should be achieved. There's more. Every day you wake up, it's not like, I have preached 10,000 messages. It's not, Lord, there are things that I'm supposed to say that I have not yet said. There's a boldness with which I'm supposed to speak those things that I have not yet put into my messages. There's a consecration I'm supposed to make that I don't know about yet. There's a level I'm supposed to get to that I have not yet reached or even discovered that it exists. It's important. It's very important. You know what I found out? A lot of Christians, this is just by the way, okay? A lot of Christian parents, I keep on saying this to my parents, they think that they are the ones that are supposed to serve God. Their children are supposed to just be good Christians. What I said, did it make sense to you? So I make sacrifices for God. I, you know, I do things for God as a young person. And then I grow, then I marry. Then I settle. No means to settle. So I settle down. I have children. They start growing. I start not, not seeing them. And if they call me one day, that something entered their head, they are going to do village evangelism. I will remind them about kidnapping. About headsmen. These children, don't injure me. You want to use high blood pressure to kill me? You wicked soul. Was that not what you did to your own mother? And you say it's rural rugged. You wore your NYC boots. You climb mountain to Coma Hills. Now, if your child does tell you that he's going to Coma Hill, you'll be like, what? What you expect him to do is to go and do a postgraduate abroad, settle there, get a good job, and not risk his life because this country is dangerous. They should pray morning, afternoon, and night. Have you read your Bible this morning? Yes, mommy. I hope you are praying, you know. Yes, daddy. Please don't join us. Don't go to parties, though. Yes, mommy. You want to know the truth? He will go to parties. He has to. Prodigal sons always go to parties. Anybody whose life is set in security and comfort will go to party. You don't smoke, Igbo. Why would you don't smoke, Igbo? Somebody must smoke something. Listen, this life, guys, please, everybody know it. You must smoke something. 
If you don't want to smoke Igbo, it will be because you are smoking Holy Spirit. Is it because you are going to a church and you are rolling on the floor? I can't just say like that when you smoke something. Okay, something will smoke you. <laughs> the only way to prevent them from smoking and drinking is that they must be high on something else. They must be high on something else. You can't tell the child because you want to be, you want to have, have comfort in your head that you shouldn't make decisions for God and follow Him with your whole heart. And say, shouldn't smoke? Why? Men were meant to smoke. What we Christians are just saying is, smoke the real thing. Smoke the scriptures. Smoke the Holy Spirit. And once you smoke and drink, you must misbehave. You can't expect a child to just be normal and nice. And you say, shouldn't fall for temptation. No, he will fall for temptation. If your child comes to you one day and says, I don't want to do that in the, I won't go Bible school. Let him go. My friends and I are thinking of camping in the village for like three weeks. He said, we want to do outreach. Don't ever, if you don't want God to be angry with you, don't tell him this risky. God will remind you, 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 that saying is risky. Let me see, show you where you were 30 years ago. Was I know what you were doing? You think you have done it now for all the generations? No, you haven't. No, you haven't. No, that's only I've noticed. People tend to think that we have served God. Like one man says, now I'm not saying you should do it like him. He's an apostle's friend. He said, my father has fasted for two generations. So, so my job now, just relax. I said, listen, that is how to give yourself problems. Your own children will fast, eh? hunger will almost kill them. I know what I'm telling you. Your father did not fast for two generations. You have to to the path of your father if he was walking truly in faith. If you are speaking because maybe you have better understanding in some areas, it's different. Not that this, my father has done the work. It's time for me to enjoy life. life. Jesus died for us on the cross. All his apostles died too. And he told the rest of us, lay down your life on the altar. Just die now. Yeah. Let's, no, I want all of you to be living corpses so that your life is not dear unto you. That is the only way to live like Christ. He has, he has walked, given that this again that we should walk in his footsteps. He has set an example before us. God, does, no, I'm telling you the truth. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He said, now you go and down the cross for other people's sins. He said, what do you mean? Yes, that's why your name is Pilate. You come to Nigeria and live in poverty. To raise the people out of the darkness of the continent into the light of Christ. That's how it works. That's why you turn around and call a man like Paul. Like where he went to Ananias. Ananias, say Ananias. Now go to, what name of that road? Call straight. Look for so-and-so and so-and-so person. So you, there you will find a man. His name is uh, Saul. So I've shown him what he will suffer. For my name's sake. He said, I have suffered the soul. Paul doesn't have to suffer. He said, no, the guy's name is Saul. I have told him what he will suffer for my name's sake. We carry my name everywhere. He will suffer. And for information, he was not paying for the stoning of Stephen. Some of you don't understand. Peter also suffered. Did he stone Stephen? It was an apostolic commission. Don't ever, this is very important, don't ever at any point in time feel like I have served God enough. Now things you hide. Your, look, this morning I had to lead my brother in prayer. I think it was just strong on my heart. I said, everybody, give your children to the Lord. Like Samuel, take them to the temple. Say, Lord, you can have him. 
Tell them, look, you are not my children. I don't know you. We are all soldiers of Christ. I'm just an officer. You are a cadet. You teach them how to be a soldier of Christ. Because you know, we, we have served God. You, life should be comfortable for you. For what now? Why? Why? See, this is why anointing does not increase in generations. It's a major problem. People are training the next generation to take it easy. Let's talk about natural wealth. Is that not what we're having? You see, you go abroad to some of these countries. You see Henry Ford. Henry Ford started a company over 100 years ago. It should be Ford number four or so now. That it's Henry Ford three. That's how the names have been. The last one I knew was Ford, I think Henry Ford the third. That was the CEO of the company. They built businesses that lasted generations. But you know what we do? Once we build a business, once it makes enough money, hey, you go and hide abroad. They will now hire hirelings to take over what we built. And we are wondering why it's dying. So you hardly find a wealth that lasts more than one generation. Hardly. Hardly. Why? Because the other, the one young man came and needed to help him out, you know, family, friend, came to write an exam, said he's going abroad. I said, ah, your father is a doctor, right? Said, of course, I know the family. Say yes. I said, he owns a hospital. He said yes. I said, so, and you're the only doctor in the family? Yes. So who's going to look after your father's clinic? I'm not saying they must follow that path, but at least think about it. Because many times we don't just think. We have this inability to even think about it. Say, so, you know, if I'm abroad now, earn enough money to pay a doctor to run my father's clinic. My mind, I'm talking to a child. No need to talk. He can't understand. There are three kinds of workers. I've explained it here before. There are owners, true shepherds, and hirelings. Usually the owners are the true shepherds. All right? They are the ones that lay down their lives for the flock. Sometimes you can have somebody who has the heart of a shepherd, who's not really an owner. That's the only reason why I separated it two. But usually owners are the true shepherds. They are the ones that lay down their lives for the flock. They are the ones that look at the business. It's not making money. They don't take a salary. But they pay everybody else. They pay the suppliers. You see the big business. Man, these guys are making money. They are not making money. The man is not getting anything. But he pays all his staff. He pays his suppliers. He's keeping the things going. Every other manager you employ takes his own salary first. So if the business collapses, that's the business problem. A true shepherd lays down his life for the flock. I told the young man, in my mind, once your father passes on, just shut down the clinic. It, look, there's no need. Shut it down. I give people advice like that. I've, give, I've told people to shut down ministry before. Remember your guy? He said, I said, just close it down. There's no need. Don't say, I'll put a pastor there. I said, he, he never reach. Don't give yourself a headache. You're living, just shut it down. There are times, if, if that old man will ask me, I say, okay, when you cross a particular age, once you're not sure you can go to work again, sell the clinic to somebody else. Just sell it and relax. Because many of us, we think that once we have served God, is enough. Please don't forget what I said. No time should you ever feel that you have done enough for God on this earth, so it's time for you to relax and enjoy. No. Always ask, what is the next territory to conquer? Where are we stepping into next? That's the way it works. Now, I told you I was talking about Job. That was why God had to shake Job up. 
had to shake Job. Job, what's your problem? Job was feeling righteous. You know, some of you like to me. God bless you. I like you. I mean, the Lord loves you. I love you. God bless you. You'll be telling me things that you shouldn't be telling me. You know, Pastor Banky is an anointed teacher of the word. <laughs> I'm not saying it's a lie. But don't fill my head with nonsense. I will not believe you now. I will not go home feeling happy. No, God has even helped me with that one. The last few months, me and him have been having issues. Not that I have a problem with him, just that I need to solve my problem. Are yeah, you getting my point? Uh-huh. Nah, about God. You know, what, you know what me I'm pointing at? Was this person not your servant? Why did you anoint him like this? Has the anointing finished? Where's my portion? <laughs> yeah, seriously. We have to keep going higher. We must never say, when Job settled, God said, it's okay, Satan. Now, go and read your Bible. Those who don't know. Did you see Satan come to God and say, Lord, I want to tempt your servant Job. God was one that called and said, come. Where are you coming from? Wakabout. It's okay. In your wakabout, did you consider my servant Job? Ah, that guy is a problem case. I've told my guys to leave him alone. Last demon I sent near him, they shocked him with electricity. That one went to hellfire before the time. He said, you are surrounded, you surrounded with the hedge roundabout. Please read it well. Satan never started the conversation. It was God. It was God that said, have you considered my servant Job? You know what I'm saying? God was the one that began the conversation. Satan now took it up. And said, just serve me because of what he's going to get. Because <clears throat> that's what I wanted you to say. Let's now prove it that it's not so. God shook Job up. A few months. Less than a year. But shook him up so badly that Job was wondering, what did I do? Now, Job, let me tell you what you did. It's in Job chapter 29. You were confident in your righteousness. That's what you did. Except that nobody thought it was wrong. Everybody thought that it was something to aspire to. And God said, no, Job, it can't be like that. It can't be. Why? You have set a standard that will keep the blessings of this earth shorter than I planned it to be. If God allowed Job to be the only person, the technology we have on earth today would not have existed. I know what I'm telling you. There's a level, somebody had to bring in a level of righteousness that will allow certain levels of technology, physical technology to come in. So God said, shake him up. What did God do to Job? He taught him the righteousness by faith. Many of us don't know. God had to teach Job the righteousness by faith. That's what he did. And let me just quickly add this one to you before I get back to what I was saying. The blessing of Job is available. Remember I said you have to recite. Remember that? Yes. Please never forget to recite the story of Job to yourself. And never forget to issue for certain statements that Job learned. Naked I came into this world. Naked I will return. It's not unbelief. Say it. Though he slays me, Yet I will trust him. It's not unbelief. You must say it. I know my redeemer lives. You must, there are statements you must make so that you will not have to suffer like Job. You have to enter into the sufferings of Job deliberately in your heart. And go occasionally. Fact. He will take something from you and listen for you to respond like Job. Don't go and start. My enemies have come. They will not succeed. I command thunder to fire them. Get on your knees like Job and say, 
naked I came to this world, naked I will return. Say, though he slays me, yet I will trust him. People say it's unbelief. It's not unbelief. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken. Blessed be the name of the Lord. There are statements you must make. You don't know the kind of faith you are learning. God will look and say, that one has drunk of the spirit of Job. Is enough. He lost something, yes. But he's drunk of the spirit of Job. He's fine now. She's okay now. Let her go. Lose that one and let her go. So never get to that point in which you feel like you're settled in this life. That's what I'm making. Never. All right? Now, like I said, small, small digression. So I was explaining to us, he said, instruct those who are rich in this world, in this present world, not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. I was saying that riches, money, has this temptation to drag people into faith in itself. I hope you're getting my point. So we must deliberately sit money. We will not live in your realm. Jesus was tempted and he was reiterating that word for us again. That man does not live by bread alone. Number one key to walk in divine abundance is to recognize that statement. That a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things which he possesses. You must, that is, you want to walk in divine abundance, you must start making your decisions, your choices, and the statements concerning your life with those things in mind. My life does not consist in the abundance of what I possess. You must aim to be like Paul, to be independent of circumstances. God will not bless you with abundance if he still thinks that's where your joy is coming from. Did you hear what I said? The child of God that wants to walk in the realm of divine abundance must learn how to have joy in the midst of nothing. You have to understand that God is walking. See, we may all be on this earth, but we are not, we are not all, of, all of this world. Do you get my point? We are not all of this world. We may all be on this earth. Joseph is in prison. Doesn't mean that's why the reason why the same prison, but the reason why he's there is different. See, you know this is our country, like many countries of the world, not only this one. You know the other day, one of my friends lives in the U.S. was angry with how naira has lost value. Then he checked a few African currencies and um, some South American currencies and some Asian, uh, some European currencies like Turkey, and he said it looks like dollar is the problem, not. <laughs> I don't know whether you get my point. Yeah, you know the way Naira lost value in the last few months, last six months or so. He realized that it was not only Naira. The Turkish lira has done worse, far worse. He picked some other Nigerian uh, African currencies all over the place. Ah, he lives in the U.S. He said, "Oh boy, he looks like maybe the problem is not Naira. Actually, the problem is the dollar." <laughs> I wonder if my, my classmates who understands uh, you know, financial things and I explain the particular principle. How the dollar is sucking up, let me not go into that, but that there's something, there are certain things they are doing with their financial policy in the U.S. that's causing this thing to spread worldwide. So you make a saving somewhere else, it ends up benefiting America more than it's benefiting your country. He tried to explain it, but I didn't fully understand it, but what I'm just trying to tell you is that it's not only this country, it's everywhere. I hope you're getting my point. However, do you know the country needs redemption? The economy needs redemption. And the redeemers are just in one place. Not that you forget God if you think he's the leaders. Forget. They are helpless. When this current government came into power, the moment they removed petroleum subsidy, fuel subsidy, everybody expected the value of the Naira to strengthen. They expected the Naira to strengthen. It did for a few days because of the expectation. Then it went in the other direction. 
And everybody's confounded. Who's mopping this thing up? Where is it going? The point I'm making is this. They don't have the answer. They don't. What does God expect? I don't know how we are going to do it. But he says if there's going to be stability, if there's going to be peace, if there's going to be prosperity, it will be because my people who are called by my name, that they do something about it. Please, don't ever forget it. You are are held responsible for the things going on around you. Those who are waiting and waiting for one leader, God said, I'm waiting for you. I'm waiting for you to activate a blessing. I'm waiting for you to utter right words. I'm waiting for you to pray certain prayers that will pour my blessing upon your land. They're pointing at fingers and pointing at their policies. He said, if they gather and there's no blessing in it, I will scatter it. I hope you're getting my point. Anyway, the point I'm making, however, all right, is that in the midst of everything, God actually says your light can shine in the midst of darkness. Yes. And the first thing you do, like I was saying, you lay up your own life according to divine principles. First point, my life does not consist in the abundance of things that I possess. For that reason, when I'm making my choices, I'm not making satanic choices. What are satanic choices? Choices designed only for my personal preservation. Choices designed to make sure that I'm safe. That when I get up in the morning, I'm looking for tricks and techniques on how to lay up my treasure on the earth. You know what the Lord is saying? Once I begin like that, what I'm doing in effect is that I'm putting myself out of the place of divine abundance. I hope you're getting my point. How therefore do I walk in divine abundance? I'm saying, first, I recognize what Jesus said. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of things which he possesses. Now, let me talk about what Paul said next. Now, what is faith? Faith just means I'm walking by what the Lord is saying. Paul now said, instruct those who are rich in this age not to be conceited or fix their hope on riches, which are uncertain. They should fix on God. We have already established that money tends to attract people to fix hope in it. He said, how do you know that your hope is in God or you have fixed your hope on God who richly supplies us with all things? He said in verse 18, this is how you know. He said, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. I'd like to give this my testimony again. Let me just share this one and I'll close here. When I was getting married years ago, I was a senior registrar just about to finish my residency. In a time when doctors were some of the poorest paid professionals in the world, that Nigerian doctors were. I was telling somebody, I was just somebody a few days ago, they were saying things were better that time. I said, I'm not saying just for doctors alone, but everybody in the country. I said, my salary, when I started residency, was the equivalent of $70. I asked one of them, how much do you earn now? He said, things are bad. Now, dollar has crashed and everything. He earns about 300 if you put it in US dollars. I said, so, when I was in your shoes, I was earning 70 And you are telling me that things are worse now than it was for me then. I said, what is wrong with you people? Towards the end, that is... Of course, they kept on improving things little by little, but it wasn't so fantastic. I don't, I'm looking back now. I wonder what gave me the boldness I wanted to marry this girl. Anyway, I had the boldness. It's faith. Amen? amen. Yes, and we, had, we had to do it. Amen? Am I? I mean, okay, what, what else will I do? I'll say, okay, okay, go and wait. I don't have money yet. Am I crazy? No, I will reduce what I need. I marry all this. I'll just go to registry, marry, and then we'll go home. They will now come and do the reception in 10 years. You, you don't know you can do that? 
Hey, in case you don't know, let me just teach you now. You can do it. You just go and do small wedding that costs you like total of 15K. So, how? You see me after. But you, what are you? What do you want to know? For? To, to counsel people. It's just what they charge at the registry. That's what I mean. Once you get the, the parents agree, tell them the reception will be in 10 years' time. In 10 years, I don't know about, oh, you've seen it now. Ah, they do it all over, at least it started in Western Nigeria. Everybody has not learned it. Your father dies, you're not rich yet. You just quickly do small ceremony, do small interment. A few hours, you just, you just go to church. Then in 10 years, you, the children, will now come back. That papa has been lying on one side for a long time. That they want to turn this side. You've not seen it before. They do it in my part of the country. He said they want to turn the side. So let's shift him a bit. Then you now kill one cow per street. Musicians everywhere. Why? You've, you've eaten and you are full. Yeah, it's allowed. Amen? Okay, anyway. That just by the way. So that time, when we're planning to get married, to now make it worse, there's some crisis around that time. They just say, bam, no salaries. Four and a half months straight. Not a dime. Didn't pay me shishi. Actually, five months straight. One of the months, they paid half. That was not the plan, no. It just happened. Time and chance happens to all men. Good news says bad luck. It was bad luck. Anyway, the strike ended. We started making arrangements and all of that. This is where I'm going. Every little dime I had went towards my wedding preparation. Every little dime. Look, if I spend 20 naira, it remains 2 naira change. The 2 naira is going towards wedding preparation. Then one day I was sharing this word with my wife to be. Just sharing the scriptures. This particular scripture. That's when the Holy Spirit beat on it for me. He said, instruct those who are rich in this world not to be conceited or fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. Now he said, but you were not rich. No, but the principle is there. Where is your hope? Why was I grabbing every little money I had? That was my hope. Ah. As soon as I was done reading that, I realized the Holy Spirit was talking to me. You may not realize the banking, but you are trusting in the money you have. That's why it's not enough. Okay, then how will I not trust in the money I have? What is the next thing he said? He said, instruct them to be what? To do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. So I said, if I am not trusting in my money, how will I know? I will do good works, I'll be generous, and what? I'll be ready to share. Next Sunday, I went to church. Something I had not done in a while. I put money in the envelope. After service, Pastor, good afternoon, sir. I gave him an envelope. Offering basket, I dropped an envelope. A friend of mine was waiting about the same time. I met him, I said, oh boy, I see you have been spending money. Let's just see how we can help you. I put money in an envelope and gave to him. He thought I won jackpot. What he did not know was, actually I did. I rejoiced at thy word. Like one who finds grace for. It was from this scripture that I just realized that, Panky, you have hindered the power of God all this while. Because you are trust. Now, you didn't realize, and I told you, it's not what you think, it's what you do. Is it time I told you that, I mean, God has restored it to me now. I sleep very well. Eh? Some people say, ah, Pastor, you know, you are trying all this work you are doing in my mind. The only time I don't sleep well, to be honest with you, is Friday night. 
into why? Because I have to be here early in the morning on Saturday. So as the way the week is, so I try to get ready during the night. So Friday night, typically I don't sleep very well. But every other day, ah, they sleep. Like I told you, one, if you want to sleep well, remove the television. So I don't have television in my bedroom. Okay, I have a good bed. Get it. See, now I've been telling you, reduce the amount of money you spend on medicine by getting a good bed, a good room, and put a seat there. You know, just make sleep well. I sleep very well. Hallelujah. All right? And it's good. It's good for health. Sleep very well. I must walk the walk of him that sent me while it is day. Yeah. The night walks when everybody should be asleep. All right? That's what I practice. So those days I used to sleep well also, even before then. I used to sleep very well. I was a good sleeper. I didn't used to sleep excessively. Like, I remember towards our exams, what I used to do is I'd go to bed at 9 p.m. And I slept till three uh, till uh, at tip strict, strict uh, six hours straight. Wake up around three, past three. I had exams to write, so I could shorten my stay for some period of time. And I read good enough. God helped me with that. I'm a fast reader. I just do three hours in the morning till six a.m. Take another nap for an hour, and then go back, go off to work. That's how I read for my exam. Just three hours every morning, and it, was, it worked very well for me. Okay. Now, but so I used to sleep very well. Now. When I didn't have exam, and it wasn't that, I usually would sleep around 10, 30, 11, and all of that. And I have a nice stretch of sleep. This one, I'll lie on the bed. Usually, if I lie on the bed 15 minutes after, I'm asleep. Because I'll lie on the bed one hour after, I'm still awake. And I'm tossing and turning. It happened the first day, second day, third day. I, I don't know how long it happened. Maybe last day, a week. I, I said, what is wrong? I'm not sleeping again. It used to be so bad, I have to get up and go and find something else to do. When the sleep would not come. So when it hits me that this has become a problem, I went and prayed, Father God, please, I'm not sleeping. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me clearly. And the words just dropped in my heart. It was like a thought. It said, this is what they call worry. Do not up till then. I never knew I knew how to worry. That's what I tell you. It's not what you think. It's what you do. What was I doing while I wasn't sleeping? I was planning. I've wondered if you had planning retirement plan. They are giving you Adamic issues, though. I was planning, I was planning. Uh, the tailor said this, then the suit would be like this. Hey, and I was going to give my, my wife to be this amount of money because of gown. Hey, no, no. Hey, give, I, will, I will be thinking, thinking, thinking. I calculate the salary that is coming. Ha! Have they approved the cooperative loan? Hmm. Thank you. But why do I have to buy that ring? Can't you buy? Every night I'm on the bed, I'm planning. You know what God said I was doing? I called it planning. God called it worrying. The moment he said it to me, this is what they call worry. On the spot, I stopped planning. If I tell you I stopped worrying, you say, how do I stop worrying? I stopped planning. By the next day, I was back to sleeping. 15 minutes after I hit the bed, I'm fast asleep. All I need to do is just hold something to read. Someone says, Satan is keeping you awake. Read your Bible. He will leave you alone. He will let you sleep. He said, if I keep this guy awake now, he will be reading his Bible. Next day, I was back to sleeping on time. And sleeping well. In the same manner, the same period, when I was doing what I was telling you. Every morning. Then when the Holy Spirit dropped this in my heart, that look, you are trusting in the money, which unfortunately for you, you don't even have. You know, some people have money, they can trust in it. You, you don't have, you are still trusting in it. How will God help you now? God is not helping you. Money is not helping. <laughs> so what did I do next day, brethren? I took the little money I had, all the ones I could find there, shared it into envelopes and went and gave them out. And since then, 
till now. Since then till now, I don't give anything as an excuse not to give money. It's my rule. My principle now is that if I want to do something, so I'm gathering my money, I can't give, I can't share, then it's a sign I'm not right for those things. Yeah. It's my new rule. Since then, there was only one time all my life, in fact twice, that I've used it as an excuse. And both I repented before God. One of them, well, it looked like I was just setting my priorities right. So let me drop that one. Okay? The second one, but the main one, I said, one body needed help. And I told him, it was shortly, it was the time my dad passed on, so we're planning the burial. And I told him, look, I couldn't help because I was planning a funeral ceremony for my dad. I looked back now. In fact, then I repented immediately. I went and looked for the guy later. I looked for his senior. Say that your guy, please. He asked me for money some time ago. I didn't give him. And I think it was wrong. Please, is, is this still appropriate now? He not told that I shouldn't bother that they fixed everything. I, I apologized to his senior. The guy was like his senior. I said, ah, I'm so sorry. I, look, I had a valid excuse. But I look back now, it was bad. Since then, there is nothing I give to regularly. That anything I'm doing is allowed to touch it. I, I won't tell you that I want to buy a car now. Then they are giving offering I don't give. I don't even talk, but I don't touch it. Hey, I want to buy a house. I want to build a house. And for that reason, no. Does even reach the point? I said, no. If, I won't tell the children that you can't chop ice cream because we are doing something. Lie, lie. Whatever you're supposed to chop, you will chop. Otherwise, you know the fact? What I'm doing, grace is not with it. Let me take a few moments and talk about giving. You see, I am so unhappy with what we have taught in the body of Christ in the area of giving. It's terrible. This selfish reason of giving is bad. This one that if you need a million, in fact, some people actually said it, and all you have is 1,000, you go and plant the 1,000, then God will multiply it to become 50. Then you give five from it, God will multiply it. Forget. See, this Kalo Kalo, this calculation, this thing is not the will of God. Clear, we don't give because we want to get. I will say it again. I will say it until everybody believes it. It is wrong for you to give hoping that God will multiply it and send it back to you. That is not Christian. I don't care whether it works on. I don't, I don't want to hear your testimony. It is not the will of God. It is not Christian practice. We do not give because we want to get. I've said it before that it's like, even me, I'm falling for it. Maybe I'm preaching. Or they tell me, come and take offering. Although I didn't do this much. Maybe once or twice in my life. More than 20 years ago. And the offering you are giving this money ties something to it. Whatever you tie to it is under a curse. You have not given. Say this morning, say to God what this offering will do for you. That is wickedness. See, I will say it the way it is. So that you will know that I know what I'm saying. And I know people preach the opposite, but I will say it clearly. If you give and you say what this money will do for me, it is wickedness. There's no love in it. Paul said, even if I give everything, including my whole body to be burnt, and it is not motivated by love, he said, I have no love, I profit what? Nothing. You cannot give because of you. People say, no, you don't. When you give, no, you can't give because of you. 
You only give because of the person or the thing you are giving to. That's what we call giving because of what? Love. Love must be the motivation for your giving. I hope you're getting my point. It must be. The idea that I will plant a seed and God will multiply it for me should never be the reason why you are giving. People now say, but in Luke chapter 6, Jesus said in verse 38, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and rolling over. Shall men pour into your bosom. With the same measure that you give, I say, listen, I, see, I, I learned that scripture over 34 years ago. And I've never forgotten it, so I know it too. But words have meaning. Give and it shall be given is different from give so that it, can, it shall be given. So what a difference. Motive counts with God. Say, I the Lord, I test the heart. I say the mind. Before I reward you for the work you are doing, I check why you are doing it. We Christians don't give because we want to get. It's not our key to breakthrough at all. What am I preaching this morning? It is a sign of our faith. It's a sign of my faith that I'm generous and, what is the word? Ready to share. I'm a continual doer of good works. It's a sign that I really believe in God. It is that faith that's actually activating prosperity for me. It is not my money. It's not my giving. It is that indeed, that's why I gave my testimony initially. Because they look at you, the way you are holding on to money, you are not asking me to bless you. Let it go. See, there are some things that mark Christianity. Being a generous, cheerful giver, ready to share, is a sign of Christianity. Before you save, give. And whatever you have saved, if the necessity comes for you to give it, give it. What you need to give is the need. That is like, are you get my point? Is when you see a good cause, you see a right purpose. Like I say all the time, Look, let, I thank God for Kingdom World Ministries. Eh? You don't see me here begging for offering. Have you ever seen it? No, talk to talk now. It doesn't mean we don't spend money. On. I don't know how many. How many registrations do we have now? Twenty-four. Yeah, like I said, not one of them is free. Not one. There's no registration that said that you know you. Are, you know, people actually used to think that. Pastor Bangi, you sound so nice on radio. Let's put you on radio station. That's what they think. Is a lie. They come and say, oh, God, this is our rate. If I used to joke with Yinka that these people are very wicked, what, what are we selling? Can't they even listen and realize that we're not selling anything? What concerns them? You are not selling anything. How does it buy them their diesel? Now, where I'm going with, with, with that is this. But we spend so much money, a lot of it. Where does the money come from? I'll tell you. Ultimately, is God's goodness. Amen? But you know, he sends it through his people that he has planted the spirit of generosity inside them. So, I, are, In fact, I have about three of our radio stations in my mind now that from here we have never had to die. Okay, two of them we transfer money. But the third one, no, sorry, two of them we never have to, no, three, yeah, three of them We've never had to pay them. That is like, from here, from out of Kingdom Ministries account, money goes to them. No. But they get paid regularly. Very regularly. Very, very regularly. The people decide to pay, decide to pay. I hope I get my point. The fourth one that has that, the person said, okay, 
I may not get the money as a loan each quarter, but can I be sending money to you guys regularly? We said, why not? So, essentially, we, even though we paid the money, but somebody took it up to be paid. I hope you're getting my point. That is, you don't hear me talking about, but it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean we don't spend money. What happens? Because people just, because God has motivated them. So I tell you that, look, don't wait for somebody to be shouting. No, why pastors breathe down like that is that they are choked. Rent is due. Salaries are due. No money to pay. They now come and be telling lies. Now, now see, there's judgment for lying. I'm sure you know that. Yeah, but the judgment is going to be shared two ways. The man who lied, they lie. And the one that made him lie. The one who sat down there chopping ice cream. He has not said that. How are they paying for all these things in this church, sir? Do you get my point? See, Christians are so... That's why I tell pastor anywhere I go, I say, stop insulting Christians. That if they don't give, they will not be blessed. So they should be rushing down to come and give. That's not why. Tell them this is the house of your father. And I don't mean the building. I mean the whole gospel. It's your father's house. Sometimes people say, I come and build a house at home. I said, the one that my father left, they do know how much it's costing me to maintain it. They do not know how much it's costing me. Why? You know why I'm maintaining it? It's my father's house. That's all. My mother has never said, if you do it, God will give you one house in Abuja. Has... <laughs> they just say, hey, the roof, hey, this will happen to this, this will happen to this. Uh, this. The engineer said this, how much is it? We'll get that money again, give the engineer. And he locked the door. Why? It's called what? Your father's house. It's a sense of ownership. That's what Christians have. If you're a preacher, please stop insulting us. If you need money, say to us you need money. Say, brethren, please, this rent in this facility we are using is due next month. If God blesses you, we're supposed to pay them 500000 there. All we have right now is one fifty. We have given them one fifty deposit. It's three fifty. Not here, I'm just telling you. I'm just giving you an idea. The three fifty is remaining. Please, as the Lord leads you, please, brethren, if you have three fifty thousand, go there, give them three thirty. You say why three thirty? Give the other people more space to give something. Or you can tell the pastor, here is my hundred thousand. Two days before the money is due, let me know the balance. Now, what I say sounds funny. If I do that, it's purely because I actually want somebody else to be blessed. Really. I don't want to chop the blessing on the loan. I can just go to the pastor. Here, this is 200K. So that remains 150. Please, the day the money is due, I will come again. I will ask you how much do you have. Ah, thank God we will not have 310. I will give you the balance for it. And I will not go home and go and say, eh, God, Allah, in the name of Jesus, I claim that land opposite my house in the name. Because, you know, Confidence I have I've saved, I've saved God from embarrassment. Nonsense. It does, Father, thank you for giving us the opportunity to work with you. Thank you for giving us the heart that is faithful. So that when you give us something, we remember to give it out again. I hope you're getting my point. Generosity is a sign of faith for us. But we do it because of the love of God. One reason is that when there is love, when we see something that is going on, we say, this thing has to be solved. Don't just assume, please, can I just drop this for you? Don't just assume that the problems are being solved by somebody else. Sometimes nobody is solving it. All. One day once they asked me for money for something, one brother was in distress. So I, just, I asked her a simple question. I said, how many people are you planning to ask? There's a reason why I asked. She said, well, everybody I've asked, nobody. Now, please, let me be honest with you. Eh? Actually, we are richer than we really 
behave a lot of times. But don't just set priority on giving. That's all. When I say the number of things that people don't give to us sometimes, I'm amazed. I say, no, they can't be this poor. They can't be this They are eating. They can't be this poor. They are transporting themselves. They buy food many times for their vehicles. Abba, how can you be trying to raise money for something like this and you're telling me nobody gave you money? I'm not saying they should have given you all the money. She said she didn't, nobody gave her a dime. Okay, the brother's wife was in the hospital. She just delivered. She couldn't go home. And he came to church. He said, oh, God, you're the last person I'm planning to ask. Oh. He said, because nobody gave me anything. Now, why didn't they give you? I'll tell you the reason why. Because they all just assumed somebody else would. Not because they were that broke. Because she wasn't going to just everybody. I know the kind of people she went to. It was simply because they just assumed the problem would be solved by somebody else. She said that, look, after you, I'm not talking to anybody else again. So I said, how much is the money? She told me. That was the reason I gave her the whole money. When I asked her initially, it was simply because I felt that, okay, if I'm planning to ask four people, let me give you about one third of the money. And if it's not complete, come and see me afterwards. He said, no, the last person I'm asking, I said, okay, what? What is, go- what is she going to do? I think Christians will let, no, again, please, I'll finish my message, but I will say this thing. You are, a, you are a wicked soul. If they have to tell you what you will gain before you give. The average person reasons like that. I want to know the truth. is evil. Pray that God will help you, that you will give, and you will not remember. I went to preach somewhere some time ago. <laughs> my friend's pastor of the church. He was telling the story of when the church started. You know, I was looking at him like, are you serious? He was telling the whole church. He said, don't mind him. He was not laughing at me. He said, don't mind him. He can't remember. He said, that's how they are. They won't remember. I was, I, so I was, his wife was sitting beside me. I felt like, I said, madam, I think your husband is making a mistake. She said, it's not a mistake. She described everything for me. And I faintly remembered one. I go back home. I told my wife. My wife said, no, she remembers more than one. I said, eh. He was saying that, ah, when they said that, I did this one for them. Then one day, I said this. Then one day, I sent them money for this. Now, where I'm going is that, I was looking at him like, this guy is serious. I said, this guy is serious. So he was not laughing. To be honest with you, I had no recollection. They had to drill the memory out of my brain. I thank God for it. God did me so that, I'm not the type that will give something and say, Lord, this seed I'll sown. It's for my new car. If you do like that, you will remember. And of course, God will disappoint you so you remember all the times he has disappointed you. No, one girl actually tweeted on, on Twitter. He said, God has failed me again. Yeah. Because the idiot did an exam and failed. You know why she could say God failed her again? Because she showed the shit towards it. She must have shown the shit. Because if he did not show a shit, you can't say he failed. You say he didn't answer me. Like one brother said, he took his, he sowed the seed, put it there, he now wrapped his application, you know, anointed the envelope with oil, struck the application with the mantle. (laughs) (laughs) Told me he made sure his title was complete. He now sowed the seed. He now applied for the job. He was so sure he would get it. When the result of the applications came, he didn't get anything. Was that the reason why I was writing? No. The job he had is acting. Yeah. So he wrote to like, what happened? Did God travel? Which angel was on my case? They didn't treat my case. Replied him, I said, at least now you know it doesn't work like that. God has helped you. He has blessed you. He doesn't work like that. Now you have learned that it doesn't work like that. You are not application with all. 
You struck it with mantle. What happened? Like the guy blocked every corner. Tight, he tightened regularly. He sewed the seed. At the end of the day, God, you will do it. God say, ah, you've tied my hands. I can't do anything. And somebody said, tie the hand of God. God said, my hands are tight. I wanted to help you. Boy, your seed and tight has made everything tight right now. I'm not able to help you. I said, my brother, next time you want something, just say, God, please now. You don't have to say please now. What is, how do you say my father in Igbo again? Is it not? Nam, nam, biko. Say, you love me. Jesus said that you love me. That's what he said. I need a job. I like this one. Sometimes he will hear you and say, this one is not good for you. Wait, follow me. Let me end it here. Generosity for us as, a Christ, as Christians is not the key by which we used to unlock something. It's a sign of our faith. We use it to show that our trust is not in what we have. It's the reason why we can give out of our lack. Because we are saying this money does not control me. I hope you're getting my point. We are saying, ah, yes, I don't have enough. Like one man said, if the money you have cannot solve the problem you have, eat that money. <laughs> In the same manner, we Christians, if your money can have say, okay, well, let's, solve, let's solve the one it can solve now. I hope you're getting my point. Let me give an example now. Assuming I need five million naira to buy a car, okay? I don't have. I've checked everything. All the money I have there is 500,000. You now come and say, please, oh, God, I never pay school fees. How much is school fees? 70,000 naira. Let me ask you. Can 500,000 buy a car or 5 million? No, on the surface, can it? But can it pay 70,000 naira school fees? Common sense, take the 70. It, when it was 500, you couldn't buy the car. When it's now remaining 430, it still will not buy the car. Have you seen that? Nothing has changed apart from the fact that I've solved somebody's problem. Then my wife now comes and says, uh, Please, my research is not going good again. How much is a good research? He said, I've checked one. It's 45,000. Let me ask you a question. If I remove the 45,000, would that 407,000 still buy the car? But will it solve my wife's watch problem? After I've solved another problem. See, 500K has solved two problems now. Then we reach the house. Maybe we don't have a television again. The one there has spoiled. I go and say, one nice smart TV. It says 200K. How much is remaining? Three something. Let me ask you a question. If I remove 200, and buy the smart TV. Will you remain buy the car? Before I remove, was he buying the car? Was the car nearer coming than before? No. Is it farther away than before? No, none. There's no motor. There's no motor. We buy the television. We hang it there. We go to church on Sunday. Abraham's blessings are behind. They bring offering basket. You drop a good thing inside. Is the car farther away than before? If you... Look, you should know what cannot solve which problem. That guy will be farther away from you if you refuse to do all this I have said. Say, I'm waiting till the money will reach 500,000. It will reach 5 million. For your information. By the time I reach 700,000, the car is now 6.5. <laughs> you know, there's a scripture for it. You run against men, they wore you out. What will you do when you are now running against horses? Inflation is also another name for horse. Galloping inflation. <laughs> I don't know what they call it. That's galloping. Inflation will leave your money behind. Listen, brethren. That money you have... Okay. Well, use simple senses. Safe. 2020, started saving. 222, you finally reach 1 million. You want to buy a motor. When you started saving, car was 2 million. When you reach 1 million, car is now 3.5. Come on.
Come on, she tell you that this is not the way to go. It's not the way. It's not, it's not the way to go. Just carry the money and say, "What else can we do?" I'm telling you, just go home. Like I said, say this is my house. I need a nice one horsepower low energy AC in the room. Put it. Buy a big bed. Say, sweetheart, if we can't drive a car, we can sleep well. Say, by the way, buy two beds. That brother, the way he walks in the morning, he's not sleeping well. Call him. Seriously, these are things you should do. Say, bro. And they say, say, I'll see you in the morning, you are sweating. What happened? Say, bro, hit the The AC where I buy, now two. Come and take one. That's how they live. That's how to live. This really happened. Archbishop Benson that also. One day a man came to him, was talking talk about problems. This is not today, this is years ago, more than 40 years ago. Okay, about 40 years ago. Definitely more than 30. So he's been trying to buy a car, he's been saving for two years. Archbishop said, What? Two years. How much have you saved? He told him. So he said, Go and bring the money. So the guy went home, gathered the money, and brought for Archbishop to see. Archbishop put in the offering basket. The guy put the basket. I can say he can go. Just say you can go. You can go. God, that's not the buy car. Do you know the car? The guy bought the car I think within three months. Yeah, God opened doors for him, blessed him. Money came in his direction. Maybe he got the car that was not expensive. In three months, he had the car. They said all Agusha did for the guy was what? Two years. He said, "Go and bring the money." The guy brought it. He said, "Put in the offering basket. You can go." The guy went like, "This man of God don't keep us, but." A few months later, he had the car that he had been planning for for two years. I can tell you from personal experience, even though it started from scripture, what I've told you is the way you should live. Something too wonderful for you, don't worry yourself about it. The car everybody's buying for five million, God can give you one for 50,000. That's not a joke. I mean that literally. If somebody listening to me, we'll get that miracle. But you see, when we tie God's hands, is when we just think everything he's doing, must be according to our plan. One brother gave me a testimony once. He came to see me in Benin. He heard I was coming, so he came. He told me that he used to live in the UK. Because when people listen to me, they do strange things. This guy was living in the UK. This was a few years ago. He, his wife introduced him to my messages, my teachings. So, after he listened for some time, the guy decided that God is telling him to go back home. Yeah. He packed his wife, and I think he had a child or two. And told his wife that we are going back to Nigeria. Everybody said this guy has gone crazy. His own is that I heard the teaching of the word, and what that word said to me is go back home. So he passed the whole family, they had meeting on him. They told him he had gone crazy. He said, What I've heard says go back home. His wife was standing that day looking at him. That he was talking with me. She was just smiling. So he came, of course, they, they came back home. And he told me that God has opened doors for him. He told me the kind of business he's doing. His clients were things like um, Coca-Cola. I don't know why it's tele, uh, telecom he does, but that's it. What do you call this? IT, yes. He had big clients. He said God has opened doors for him. But him, the most interesting one is that he said, the one day that I was preaching, and I said, you will live in houses you did not build. Ah, And he said, that's the word of God. So when he came to Nigeria, after the whole family had got that on his head, and he didn't hear he moved to Lagos, came back from London, came to Lagos, he and his wife. So they were trying to get settled. Then one of his relatives, either an uncle or a brother, I think his brother, 
big brother, had a big house in Lagos. And you know when the owner of the house is far away, the tenants and caretakers do anything they like. So the guy said, please, can you manage the house? I think he had many houses around there. Can you manage the whole thing for me? He said, the guy said, no problem, you're my brother now, why not? He said, meanwhile, you can stay in one of the duplexes free of charge. So the guy told me, he said, sir, right now, I'm living in a house I did not build. Yeah. So he just came to meet me just to come and say, God bless you, sir. I heard the word of God from your mouth, and this way it has brought me to. Why did I tell the story? The fact that he lives in a house he did not build. And I've seen God do it again and again. I told the story of the brother who said one day, told God, please, this Christmas is coming. Dress me up now. And I woke up one day, and God said to him, go and meet that man. Tell him you want to buy his car. And he bought the car for a little under one-third of the market price. I hope you're getting my point. He, said, he told me, this is a testimony. I just prayed that there. He said, this were the words he used. It was around this period. He said, Lord, dress me for this next Christmas now. I, I like that prayer. You know, it's... He told God, dress me for this Christmas. Then he woke up one morning, something in him said, go and meet that man. Tell him he want to buy his car. And he bought the car for about one-third the fair market price. One-third. You know what God is saying? The problem where abundance does not flow is everybody wants to live in the realm of Adam and expect God to break through into Adam's life. I don't do like that. By faith, you walk away from Adam and walk into Christ. And one of the signs of you in Christ is what Paul said to us here. Be what? Generous. Do, do good. Be generous and what? Ready to share. Can, let me add this one to you. If you notice the story I've told, he's ready to share with everybody, including yourself. There are things God is teaching me again. Just reminding me recent times. See, if you decide that the current price of things will decide everything in your life, God will say fine. If you say it won't, God will also say what? Fine. But then, there's something I said last time. Please don't forget, it's a very important principle. This story I just told now about, you have 500,000, want to buy a car that's 5 million, then you solve a man's problem for you need 70,000 naira. You buy yourself a television because your wife said, look, she needs a good TV. Uh, sorry, I buy your wife a wristwatch. Then you help somebody solve another, maybe, health challenge, 50,000. And you blow 500,000 on notice, people in need, and yourself. And the money went down. What I said, some may laugh about it. Some may actually think that I'm being irrational. That's how people die when they mock the words of a prophet. Blessing will come and crush you. Don't do that. I hope you're getting my point. You know the story I'm talking about, all right? But I actually meant what I said. When you do what I have said, that car is closer than before. It's closer. I said something last time, and on Tuesday I've been saying it. Dare to ask God for something in the midst of difficulty. After you have finished, say, God, I want to buy a car for five million. It remains one fifty thousand. So can you send that car for one fifty, or you just send it for nothing, or send five million? Choose. You are the Lord. You can bring the car for nothing because you ain't got money now, or you take this one fifty, or you send five million. I swore to God in my life around nineteen ninety. What year was that? I finished NYC in 93. Yes, I came to Lagos after NYC in 94. 94 was when I swore to God I would never pursue money in my life. 
And I thank God till today I'm not doing. I've fallen for temptations here and there, but God has always pulled me back. I won't do anything because it makes money. I could decide that I'm putting our books on Amazon. People should buy. I said no. If I do that, it's only because... I I can still put it on Amazon, but it's free on our website. Years ago, they were downloading 3,000 copies of these books a month. I've not done the counting in recent years. The issue is that if I put it there, I know then the only reason would be that I want to get money. So I said, put everything on the website. Let it be free. So if you see it there tomorrow, it's for another reason. I realized if I do something purely because you make money. I've not said I've never tried it. There was a day I said I want to buy it and sell it. This was long ago. This is not 1992. The first day I went to nature, Agbe collected me. I saw this angel. See, just leave me alone. I'm going home. I'm not trading again. Oh, God. I did, the, the way I was harassed that day. When God had been teaching me my lesson, he said, now, go home. If I see you again, when did you become a trader? I told the Lord I won't pursue money from that 94. One major reason why I did, you want to know why? I saw people who had it, they were not pursuing it. Yeah. I, I was, when I want to tell you, they did not mention his name. One man, one man of God. Somebody met him in this lift. I want to give you something. That one said what? It said 11 billion. He wanted to transfer 11 billion naira to him. That one said, what do you want me to do? For? Bring four, you can keep the other seven. Yeah. They offered the man dash 11 billion naira. He looked at the man and said, there's nothing I'm going to do with it. I think I have used for four. He collected four and left the other seven. Yeah, he said that the, the other four, what he did if he wanted to build a school. So that was enough to build the school. So he built the school. His wife said, well, he said, I don't need the rest. Why? And I'm not saying I, I probably would have rejected it like he did, but I know the reason why he did. Money is crazy. It can drive you mental. It can drive you mental. You come, like Apostle says, if he's the one, you will call his, call his hometown. And tell his father, go and tell the OVA to pack out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're joking. Well, of course, we're just mocking here. But I know a man who did it. We are streaming along, giving the name of the village and the name of the man. Somewhere in Anambra here. He did a major, of course, it was 419. It's a big one. He went to his hometown. He told the Igwe to vacate the throne. You, you, the way you are smiling, you know the story. He knows the story. It's, it's not a hidden story. He told the man to leave. He packed a brand new car and filled the boot with money that the man can take it and go. So the, initially the man laughed and said, you, you have to wait till I'm dead. The guy said, that can be arranged. The man first, you know, he said, he just said, that, look, I want to be the next Igwe. The guy laughed. I said, you have to wait till I'm dead. The guy said, I can arrange that. <laughs> or, you take the car and go. He filled the boot with money. You know the story. That's what money does. Money will just get, get up. Curse God. You won't say, God, walk up. No, you won't do like that. They just say, uh, let's do something. I don't know what God is saying. What is God saying that we have not said? You won't know when you are tight. What is God saying that we have not said? 
Tell God we have spoken. He said, what does it take? And he said, if it is in Lauren. She knows what I mean. It's one player when we're young. The man is a rich man, very rich guy. Somebody gave him trouble. He told his boys, kill him. Make it a problem I have to solve. <laughs> they say, it's no money. <laughs> and that's what money does. So that's why the man, he said, he said, he just took four billion, tell them to take the rest. I saw people do things. Look, I told you, I was in Le- God took me to Lagos to teach me. One young man met me one day. He's a, he's a doctor. He's a drummer. He's a Christian. He told me that how anointed that he has drummed. People gave, his life, they gave their life to Christ while he's drumming. They didn't say anything. Just beating the drum. People were repenting. So when God wanted to cure him of the love of money, he took him to the house. I can give you the name, but we are streaming, so I won't. One of the very rich men in Anambra here. He said, the man took a copper, NYC member. He's a doctor. NYC posted him to the man's house. You know, they post doctors to clinic, <laughs> to hospital. They, the guy went to NYC, post me a doctor. They posted the doctor to the man's house. So he wakes up in the morning to look after the man's household and the workers there. And the man is paying him well. And he's serving the nation. <laughs> in somebody's house. I know what I'm telling you. The young man told me something. He said, sir, after that one year, I lost respect for money. He said, no, he doesn't have money. He said, I don't look for money. I don't have but... He said, I lost respect. He said, I saw so much money, I realized that it's not worth pursuing. He said, in the household where I was staying, sir, you will never find my orgas in a Toyota or a Lexus. For what? He said, you see a, he said, you see a Camry brand new. He said, a security man that inside. He said, no matter what is a Toyota, the Lexus. He said, they don't, they don't enter. He said, they only drive Bentleys, Rolls Royces. That's how they, they enter. So he said, I saw so much money, I realized that it's not worth pursuing. When he was talking, I realized, I, 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 could feel, I, I didn't see that much money, but I saw money too. When God took me to Lagos. He wanted to cure me of money. Let, me, let him know in the bank. See, all this running up and down is not what brings money. If I want to bless somebody, I bless them. I, I told you, I was earning 5,000 a month. People were wearing shoes of 25,000 a pair. I told you, when I started working, my salary was going of 17 naira. My auntie's weaving was 400. My salary was $70. My auntie's weaving was 400. No, 200, sorry. It's her shoes and bag. It's set $400. I worked for a whole month to earn $70. She washed shoes and carried a bag, $400. When she goes to the head, to the head this thing, her hair, $200. The, the, the stylist insisted on US dollars. She didn't want Naira. What are you talking about? And I'll be the one to drive the rich devil. And they look all of them like this. I'll just stand up and be looking at them. She'll call me. Banky, please come. Help me test the shoes. What do you think they will like it? I'll wear the shoes. I said, how much is it? He says, 50,000. My salary was 5K a month. <laughs> 10 months of a post-NYC doctor salary. Guys, they can buy shoes for my very before. <laughs> I was looking at them like this. I said, okay. It's all right. <laughs> when I left the place, I said to the Lord, if you want to bless me, do. If you don't want to, fine. But struggle for money, I will never do it. I will feel like a fool. 
Because I've seen those you gave it to. They don't work like this. That's what, so when that young man spoke to me, spoke to me that day, I understood. When I tell you pray like Jabez prayed, I know what I'm saying. The thing is by waking up early and going to bed late, you just die for nothing. And you still be poor. Just the painful part. If you even became rich now, we say, okay, maybe it worked out. You will still be poor. You die of high blood pressure, diabetes, mellitus. You can't see well. Your joints are aching you. And your wife is angry with you. <laughs> and you will still die prematurely. So let's just cool rest in God. Say, Lord, when I wake up in the morning, I ask you for your blessing. Father, I want, I want to pray for everybody. God, Father, God, everyone listen to me today. Lord, in a short while, do something strange by which they will know. You know the way you brought manna in the wilderness to teach us a lesson. The way you made us hungry and fed us with manna. I'm asking that you do something great and mighty. You know, you showed, you caused fish to flow towards Peter. He caught fish and then threw them away. You said, from now on, you will be fishing for men. That is, Peter understood struggles don't bring fish. It's a blessing of God. Lord, do such a miracle for somebody this morning. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Somebody's going to do a miracle. God, see, fact, God will do a miracle for you. So at the end of the day, Peter, you know, he didn't carry fish away. But he understood that he's the Lord of fish. Father, thank you for provoking faith in our hearts this morning. Thank you, Lord, for provoking faith in our hearts. May your name be exalted. In Jesus' name. Amen. I just want us to share the grace together. Father, we thank you for today. As we go from here, goodness goes with you in Jesus' name. Amen. God will make all grace abound towards you. Amen. You will have all sufficiency in all things. Amen. And we are bound to every good work. Amen. The Lord will supply all your needs Amen. according to his riches in glory. Amen. In Christ Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, Amen. goodness and mercy will follow you Amen. all the days of your life, Amen. and you will dwell in the abundance of God forever and ever. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ, Amen. there is none like the God of Jacob who raised the heavens to help you, Amen. and through the skies in his majesty, Amen. the eternal God is your dwelling place, Amen. and underneath you are his everlasting arms. Amen. He will drive out the enemy from before you, Amen. and destruction will overtake them. Amen. Now you will dwell in safety. Amen. You will dwell in a land of grain and new wine. Amen. And the heaven over you will drop down dew. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now let's, let's share the grace together. One, two, let's go. Because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, surely we have passed out of death and we have passed into life. We have passed out of darkness into the light of Christ. We have passed out from under the curse into the blessing. All things have passed away in our lives. We are now filled with the Spirit of Christ. We live above sin and walk above the devil because we are seated higher above with Christ. This is our season of the demonstration of the Spirit and of the power of God in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now I want you to bless three people around you. Prophesy to them. Say, this is your season. You have two to go. The last person, this is your season. Now one for yourself, this is my season. All right, chair of brethren. God bless you.